You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Yes, you may eat the roast beef. It is delicious. Folded over nicely. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. I got uh, Large William and the Prince of Pennsylvania, Totter, with us. We are ready to go and talk about some, well, some some happy movies, I guess. <laughs> Hangovers and fucking panicking. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yes. Needles. <laughs> and needles. Yeah. And uh, Siamese cats. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what else. Uh, trying to think of something else we got to talk about. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, cats and dogs this week, huh? Yeah. I guess. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cat story and the dog story both don't end well. No. Um, Ain't that the truth? <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those weeks. I don't know how that stuff happens, but we always seem to find some type of weird, strange through line. Into our film coverage. I have no idea how this stuff happens, but it does. This week, uh, maybe a slight tinge of animal cruelty. <laughs> uh, maybe inadvertent animal cruelty, but it's there nonetheless. Um, hopefully that doesn't turn you off. We'll try to keep it light and uh, make you giggle through this. All right. Did I lose anybody or anything? Because my f- computer's acting weird. No, I'm here. All right. <laughs> Everybody's there. All right. Uh, okay, that's strange. Anyway, I'll check that out during the break, uh, or when everybody's talking. This week we are covering Hangover Square, 1945, directed by John Brahm. The Brahms man, the Brahm. Uh, one I had never seen, so uh, Todd dropped that on me. And then uh, we are doing uh, Panic in Needle Park, 1971, directed by Jerry Schatzberg. Schatz? Schatz? Shats. Shats. Well, yeah, I guess you could say Shots. Shotsburg. Well, no, Shatsburg would probably be right. Mm. No. Nope. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not really Not really yeah. never six one. Yeah. <laughs> not really familiar with the Shats? Nah, uh, just the Shatner, but you know. I think you're very familiar with Shats. 
<laughs> not as familiar as you are this morning. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That is very true. That fresh loaf. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Uh, let's get into what we've been watching. I don't think we'll have a lot. We should just say, you know, take two weeks in a row. Large Williams here. Hope everybody's enjoyed. Hope everybody enjoyed the show last week. And it's good to have him back. And here we go again. The the magnificent menage a trois that is the GM, GGMC. <laughs> and... Uh, we're going to start talking about some movies, so keeping it short and sweet this week. Full disclosure, I watched no movies other than the movies for the show. I know that's going to amaze some folks, but that's the way it went, and that's just the way it goes. <laughs> so I don't care which one of you wants to go first. But uh, yeah, I'll jump on in. Um, not a hell of a lot, really. Got three movies down. Um, well, number one, rewatched uh, Sullivan's Travels, 1941, uh, Veronica Lake, uh, Joel McRae, Preston Sturgis, uh, William Demarest, uh, and it's uh, it's really, 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 really fun uh, as Preston Sturgis tends to be. Really well made. Um, it does kind of get really serious uh, in the back uh, in the back half, um, which kind of puts a little bit of the sprags on it for me. Uh, always has. Uh, I just can't quite, you know can't quite adjust that quick from uh, from something that's so shotgun fast uh fast paced to uh to something that's a bit more serious minded and you know violent and uh all that sort of thing but that being said uh it's still a top tier film uh by anybody's standard so there's that one uh i caught can you ever forgive me uh from 2018 directed by Mary L. Heller uh, and it's the um, it's taken from uh, the a book by uh, Lee, and it's uh, Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant, and uh, a couple of other you know notable character actors. Uh, and it's about how she was a writer, uh, writer who wound up forging um, forging letters from famous people. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah, selling yeah, yeah. them for for a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Uh, I forgot about this. I remember reading about this. It's it's really really well made. Uh, the performances are really really strong. Um, it's got some you know very funny moments in it, but it also is at the same time very not upbeat at all. Um, these are you know miserable characters. Uh, they are intent on being miserable, um, and uh, and they pretty much succeed uh, at that. So you know it's kind of a weird balance that it uh, tries to strike and uh so it makes it a little bit hard to uh invest yourself in it uh because they're so off-putting um but at the same time i thought that it was really interesting uh and like i said the performances are are really really strong uh, especially from mccarthy who's you know doing her mccarthy thing um but at the same time she's uh she's really you know she's really showing her uh, her legit uh, acting chops as well you know and and that's not to dismiss comedic actors it takes a hell of a lot to be a comedic actor but um you know she's the lady's got the goods as far as i'm concerned i like her i've always liked her uh and uh i think she's you know one of the best out there and of course richard grant is richard grant so Mm, uh so there's that and then i watched ride the pink horse 1947 from mr robert montgomery ah yes yeah, so, uh, i remember watching this a long time ago and will go and no yeah what kind of movie is that <laughs> <laughs> that title is so evocative it is though yeah 
but this was uh, yeah, this was a really good little film more. Um, I like that one I quite a bit. Yeah. It's uh it's got some it's pretty straight up, uh, but then it's got some really odd elements like the Wanda Hendricks character who just kind of wanders around uh, like a puppy dog after Montgomery. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and she's she's kind of like prophetic, but like not. Uh, it's it's really really odd. Um, Fred Clark is great as the uh, the villain as the heavy. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you know, it's really funny for for such a strong uh, film noir. I think the weakest part of it is uh, Montgomery's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, because he's very 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 much uh, like firmly setting himself in that hard boiled mode. Yeah. And he will not break that. Yeah. He. Uh... Yeah, he's he. Well, to me, he's never really been the greatest uh, actor of emoting. Anyway, he's no, very no. stiff. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. in a movie called Ride the Pink Horse, I guess is okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I I was really really glad to catch up with this one. I would let you know. I'd I'd love to see. I, it's one of those surprise releases from uh, from Criterion. Um, that I was. Uh, pleasantly surprised uh to see and you know i'm kind of hoping that they they do more stuff like this that's kind of under the radar yeah. uh as far as genre films go yeah uh that's the kind of stuff that i like to see from them yeah that's a that's a that's a good one i recommend that one as well that's one that's you know the title is very memorable but uh, a lot of people probably i'd say most people even in our circle probably have not seen it yeah, yeah. There's a, so, there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of folks, and it's it's really it's it's really odd how it uh, how it plays its story out too. It's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really follow the the normal path like you might think. The title makes sense in the movie. That's oh the, yeah, it makes sense in the movie. That, that's, that's that's the good news is. <laughs> <laughs> Wanda Hendricks does indeed ride the pink horse. <laughs> yes, there we go. That's all. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just the tip. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wolf, Wolfman Jack. Uh, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, all that I watched, guys. Okay, right. excellent. Large William. Uh, I had a pretty good week. I've been surprisingly getting more volume in than um, one would expect. As we've talked about over the years, there's some weeks like Sammy had where you just can't buy – 90 minutes in a week yeah. to, to watch anything other yeah. than yeah, yeah. stuff for the show, right? It, it, other weeks you're grooving and you get about 5 to 10 in. So um, I watched What's Much Time in Hollywood, which seems like ages ago now. Only a week ago we recorded. Or was it? Yeah, I guess a week ago because yeah, it was a yeah. long weekend. Now, full disclosure, I missed the first hour because the lineup at the drive-in was pretty unwieldy and by the time we got in and concessions in hand and all that stuff um we missed about an hour but i will say that i did enjoy what i saw i agree with everything you guys had said spawn ranch sequence uh is probably the best strongest sequence in the film tarantino's fantastic with tension when you just kind of keep stretching it like the cheese on a pizza um, and you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting for something in that scene, um, you're certain it's going to happen. But because uh, he has a tendency to obviously have pretty immediate, pretty explosive um, violence occur on screen. So you're waiting for something. And uh, yeah, the scene the scene uh, plays out quite well. Um, 
I, I don't I don't want to spend too too much time on it. I, I did quite enjoy it. It does feel maybe like his weakest film, and I don't mean that as heavy criticism because I did enjoy it. I think um uh Pitt is the, the highlight for me. Um the flamethrower at the there's a the flamethrower at the very back end of the film and that really took me out. It felt like it kind of summarized all of the um sort of self-indulgent kind of it, it he just couldn't help himself but in, inject that in and it felt so unnecessary and kind of took me out of the of the, the film in the moment but all in all i can't really give it a fair assessment until i've seen all of it but i uh, did enjoy what i saw yeah well it's uh, like it's like i was saying to you earlier i think that i think that when you do see the full i mean because you basically watch like a normal length movie Right. Yeah, like an hour and forty-five. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, this is breezy. I'm I, I think that, yeah, yeah, it's breezy when you're only watching an hour and a half of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do. I do think that when you when you see the full thing, I think uh, you'll notice you'll notice that you do start to feel it a little bit more. Had um, the 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 pacing and the editing and all that sort of thing, and it's still good stuff. But like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I've been saying, but at the same time, yeah, it just really doesn't uh, it doesn't really cohere uh, quite as well as it could. I think. But. No, no, and and you know he he's always been good enough that he doesn't need to be a propulsive filmmaker. But this one seems content to be even more passive um, in how it moves. But you know that's that's not a bad thing. But yeah, I'll be curious to see how it shakes out. I've been trying to sneak away and maybe see it myself in the theaters. Sure. But again, that seems like a real luxury, right? So, um, so we went from the glitz and glamour of Hollywood to. <laughs> The decline of Western civilization. Yes. Uh, something a little different from Aspherus. Uh, I'd never seen this one. Of course, I'm very aware of it. I know how beloved it is by a lot of people, uh, Todd or included. Uh, our friend Josh. I think Sammy's a big fan. I know part two gets a lot of love. Uh, yeah, that's the uh, hair, <laughs> you know, so some hair metal I I slash uh, thrash metal stuff in there. Yeah, part so two, I'm keen yeah. to see that one, but. Uh, this is on uh, Netflix. I mean, um, fuck on Netflix. I think Criterion put it out, right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is on the Criterion. Okay, trying to get that that value with the Criterion subscription, right? So, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I believe Shout put it out. Shout put out the the Blu-rays, mm. but it's, it is on the Criterion channel. Yes, yeah. so it's on the Criterion all channel. Three, so. All three of them, I believe, are on there, right? Yes. Uh-huh, they yeah. are. I've never seen part three, so. It's good. Which it's I, interesting. Yeah. Isn't that more like like grunge era stuff or no it's um, more like it's more like post-punk uh 90s and just sort of this industrial really, no i wouldn't go that far um it, it's definitely it's still in the punk world but it's a lot more uh you, you have to see it, it i mean the, the three the three movies really kind of are are kind of telling the story of like at the la music scene in its entirety um in that time span it's, it's really funny fall. because yeah because it's really funny how she she chose these kind of uh, semi outliers uh, to uh, to kind of illustrate um, how these things went. Like with punk, you kind of had this weird uh, nihilism, but at the same time, there was a certain sense that uh, change could be brought, and then the change becomes hair metal, uh, and everybody's just like, "What the fuck are we doing?" And then in the uh, in the third one, then it's like, you know, there's no future, we're done, and this is as miserable as we're gonna fucking ever be. Um, <laughs> And that's you know that's the thing that's the thing about it. I, that's that's at least the the, uh, the arc that I I think of when uh when I think of that that trilogy. But they're great films, and the uh, the subjects that she chose are uh, are fascinating. fascinating. They are. 
and she's a i think a classic documentarian in that yes. she allows her subjects to flesh themselves out she's not injecting her personality or crafting a narrative i mean obviously there's always some stuff in the editing room that is going to craft it a certain way but she seems much more content to allow the subjects to speak for themselves yeah yeah i mean you'll hear he'll hear poke them with a question or something yeah, like yeah. that but she doesn't she allows them to, to you know just speak their mind be themselves uh gives them the the time to uh you know just allow them to to reel it out the way that they want to or maybe they don't want to but they're going to anyway because that's who they are that's, that's the beauty of documentary yeah the truth will come out if you let the people talk long enough right exactly <laughs> give them enough rope yes indeed now just a little pro tip if you are inclined to want to watch this i wouldn't suggest doing it while you're chopping vegetables on a on a monday while the family's around because there's some uh yeah some colorful stuff in there but um it is good and it was a fascinating look uh at a scene um and a moment in time i went from that and through something long as the wife and i were prepping dinner just wanted something on the background, which we tend to do with documentaries, or I, I always tended to do, and, and this was when I figured she'd like, and I, I kind of wanted to see it for a while. It was on Netflix, Tricky Dick and The Man in Black. It's um, a documentary they produced uh, about Cash, Johnny Cash. They, they have the series they do. Sam Cooke one was very, very good. Um, this one, listeners to, of our show actually worked on this. He had to help edit it, so that's cool, but um, yeah, it's just about Cash uh, performing, I guess, uh, Nixon had, had asked him to perform in Washington, sort of, yeah, just through the run-up to that and uh, how these two men contrasted. And and this is a series that Netflix does, or this is just like yeah. a one-off? No, it's a, it's a series they do. It, it looks at musicians, and I think it really, from what I've seen, what I've been able to gather from the first two I've seen is it really looks at the musicians beyond the music uh, in that their personal views, their political views, um, social issues that they were concerned with. Now, it not, doesn't go deep, 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 but it gives you enough of kind of a, a sample size mm -hmm. to just see what the person what the person behind the music is about in terms of social issues and so forth. The Sam Cooke one was very, very good. I've been a Sam Cooke fan most of my life, and oh, yeah. I didn't realize how socially active he was in in the uh, black community. So this one is shorter, but it, it is good, absolutely. And it, and it reminded me why I love Johnny Cash. Right? He's, yeah, I miss listening to him. So cool. yeah, that was solid. I mean, it wasn't a world beater, but it was solid. Um, next up, a film I'm quite lukewarm on, but I picked up the Blu-ray for two bucks at a yard sale. Figured it would look great on the projector. I haven't seen it since its theatrical run and thought it would be a good one to throw at the kids. Because we try to balance out, you know, if they watch, you know, Invasion USA one week, we try to balance it out with something a little little more family-friendly the next. Um, so we did uh, James Cameron. They like James Cameron, so we did Avatar. Mm. Um I still have yet to see this one. Well, you're not missing much. I mean, uh, you know. Kinda how I, that's kind of yeah, how I look yeah. at it. I mean, you know, the takeaway, I think, for a lot of the people in our yeah, community is... Yeah, you you've seen it before. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you sure have. Let's put it this way. The mineral that... The, the precious um, mineral or whatever that they're trying to get uh, in Pandora is called unobtainium. Of 
course yeah. it is. Yeah, it's just, uh, so yeah. there's that. But you know, it's uh, it's it, a little yeah, too it, on the nose. That that that's probably my biggest problem with it. It is very on the nose. It's, You've seen it all before, and I, it, I almost jokingly wanted to put up a post to say, "What do you prefer, the Last Samurai or Pen or Avatar?" Like, yeah. well, I can you know, tell you right now, I'll, I'll take the Last Samurai. But I would take oh, the Last yeah. Samurai too. I haven't even seen Avatar. But then again, I guess you have to ask yourself: Do you enjoy watching Ken Watanabe or Stephen Lang? Cause I'll tell you this: This film may be mediocre, but Stephen Lang puts in one hell of a he is the MVT performance. Yes. He is the MVT, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a heavy, isn't he? He is the heavy, and he just chews it up. He's yeah. a lot of fun in it. They give him, they give him pretty much free reign in this Papa Dragon, and he. Uh, oh yeah. Is that his name? Well, I think he calls himself be. that at some point or yeah. something. He's a marine or something. At some point, they call him Papa Dragon or something like that. Ah. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's a good name though, because Stephen Lang has always been. Well, he's always been a bit of a scenery cheer, but he's he's very memorable whenever he pops up in a movie, right? Yes, and um, I know Michael Mann uses him really well. But anyway, he he's always memorable. But this is like a, this that was like a moment for him to shine, and you know I'll, I'll always be thankful to James Cameron for letting Stephen Lang shine. Yeah, it is one of my favorite heavy performances. So it's kind of weird that the film itself is very mediocre, very bland. Like you said, Sammy, on the nose is a perfect way to put it. It's it's almost like it's made for yeah. And I don't mean to disparage the film if any of our listeners love it, but for no, me, it's, it's it feels terrible. like it's made for. Like it's like a family kind of epic sci-fi adventure, yeah. which clearly it was with the paper it made. But yep. Um, but yeah, Stephen Lang. I think that that's the one thing you could absolutely take away from it is how fun he is. Yeah. Um, it looks great too. I mean, I'm not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, it does. That's the other thing I was gonna say. It holds up. I mean, this is I don't know whatever it is, ten years later or twelve, who knows, something like that. The effects hold up pretty well. Um, it was fun for my kids to see Gamora pre Gamora, like Zoe Saldana. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's always fun to find this sort of how to how to connect the dots because my kids love the Terminator films. They love Aliens now. So you know, if nothing else, I think it furthers their education with a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've done a fair bit of uh, Tim Burton stuff and James Cameron and Joe Dante. We've done some, and you know, so when you get to see a bunch of films from a director, they can kind of see when they tread similar ground and whatnot. So, um, yeah, so that was that. It was on the projector too, which made it more fun. Um, then we did police story the other night. They'd seen this probably five, six years ago. And of course they forgot it. There's so many films I showed them. I was so eager to show them the moment they could retain anything that, uh, this again, criterion channel, because they put up the, uh, police story one and two, um, set. So it's incredible to see a Hong Kong film look this nice. Yeah. And oh, I'm I'd, sure. Yeah. Oh man, like I'd I'd the love only to. Other, see. The only other stuff that looks really really good that I've seen uh, out of Hong Kong is the Shaw Brothers catalog, which just yes. for some reason or another is pristine. Yes. Uh, but every almost everything else that you ever see, uh, from you know from uh, John Woo to whoever, uh, usually you know as well most particularly the genre stuff uh, tends to just not look good because they are not. Big film preservationists. They certainly are not. Um, but no, this, of course, what can I say? I think we've even covered Police Story, have we not, at some point? Uh, uh, I want to believe we covered the first one, right? Is that the one with the shanty town? Yep. Yeah, I believe we did. The one where yeah, the guy I, falls out of the bus and everything. It's been a long time. But... Yeah. I know uh, Troy always kind of teases us about not uh, 
covering very much Jackie Chan. And I think Criterion puts out Police Story 1 and 2, and he says maybe the GG teams will cover this. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I think we did cover the first one. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we ever yeah. got to part two, but we did get to the first one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, we didn't. I meant to cover more Jackie. I mean, I well, just want my it, kids Well, it's to- just one of those things, right? So doing a podcast is, is great. But once you realize that – so there's, there's podcast darlings. There's just so many films out there that – everybody is covered so a good example is last week we're talking about doing the brugger Hauer show it would have been super easy to do blade runner yeah that would have been the one and that would have been the easy choice and 100 percent. and i just don't you know I, I i don't know what it is about me or maybe about all three of us because we all seem to be on the same page but we always want to go a little little outside of that a little bit to left field or something you know we always want to hit the ball the other way you know we might be swinging right-handed but we're going to we're going to right you're not going to left so it's it's just the way we think here and 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 also i think it's part i think even though this job this this job this podcast don't have a mission statement i would say if there was one it would be to try to turn people onto movies that they perhaps have never seen or try to watch stuff like that or reevaluate films that have maybe gotten a bad rap over the years sometimes not that we are trying to champion every um, flop, but yeah, I think um, left field thinking is something yep. that we all want to bring to the table. But yeah, it would have been too obvious to cover Blade Runner. As as and what can we say that hasn't been said? Yeah, yeah. I don't you know. know. I don't know it's, if we could ever review Blade Runner. I don't know what we would bring to it at this point. I guess probably the only interesting thing about it would be that you know Will loves it. Don't know where Todd stands on it, and I'm a little lukewarm on it. So I guess that would be the only interesting thing about it. Todd. I like it. <laughs> but you sound like, yeah, so we got the spectrum there. But I, I, I well, it, dep- it depends because yeah. I never know which fucking version to watch. There's what, 10 <laughs> versions now? Yeah. Like, what the you. fuck? Well, it just depends. When I, when I originally watched it, I watched I watched the uh, the original theatrical cut and I yeah. loved it. With the voiceover, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. was the one that that was the one that I saw for years and years. And Absolutely. They said, "Okay, well, we're going to take that out of there." Okay, great, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then they add this, and then they add that, and then they add this scene. And it's like, well, you know. Hey, Lucas, quit fucking with it. <laughs> what do they call the the one I think that most people consider to be kind of the, uh, the, the final, final, cut? final cut, I believe? Yeah. That, yeah. That, either final cut or ultimate that, cut. That's the one Ridley Scott considers the, well, it's the final definitive. cut. Yeah, the definitive the Blade Runner. But I always, Joe, I, I always uh, laugh to myself, like, anytime a new, like, so you, you know, 4K Blu-rays came out, right? I'm like, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised there's not a new Blade Runner cut to go with that. <laughs> yeah, it comes in a briefcase again. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems like every time there's a new format release, there's a new Blade Runner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. But um, that's it, man. That's all I've watched. Yeah, good, good. Well, still an interesting week. Like I said, I haven't watched anything and. I did. I did. I was telling Todd off the air. I did watch the entirety. I mean, I had time to watch stuff. It's obvious because I ended up watching. I don't know six episodes of uh, Amazon uh, series called The Boys, which is Ooh, I, I was telling my wife that's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, that's good. And uh, so I ended up watching that. But again, TV is it. It yeah. I think about that. I think I could have watched three films. Well, three average length films. And. Yes. Uh, but I don't know what it is. I, I think it's I think it's the narrative thing. I think TV is so much better at stopping and starting than films are for me. Films, I kind of want the experience, right? I want the. I guess as I get older, I know I've always watched films and starts and stops, but as I get older, I kind of want to watch them in one setting. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 
TV is kind of taking the place of that where I can just say, okay, I watched 10 minutes of episode three of, I don't know, Golden Girls, whatever. And Amazing. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can come back and just kind of breeze through that again. You know, so whatever. But it is really a good show. I would recommend that to folks check out. It's only eight episodes, so it's not a huge commitment, but it is eight hours of your life. So there you go. Kind of fun. Kind of skews and skewers the uh, superhero genre quite a bit. Um, all right. That is everything we watched. We are going to take a break and come back, and I guess we'll talk. We're going to do these chronologicals we always do? Sure. Yeah. Works for me. We're going to do some 1945 and Hangover Square. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> That's a little better than that first selection I had. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The baseline's a little better than that first uh, selection I had there. I have to say. <laughs> I'll just say this. Hangover, 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 hangover. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll drop the sound out on you guys here. And while you guys are talking so po- oh, so poetically about this movie, I'll be dropping that in. <laughs> Dropping loads. That's right. <laughs> oh, what we got here? Okay, oh. we got Hangover Square, 1945. Who Jason Derulo is. Uh, yeah, there you go. Now you know who Jason Derulo is, even though that had nothing to do with what I was actually doing there. So nothing. <laughs> I was talking about another. I'll let every, I'll let the the listeners go out there and <laughs> try to find the song that I was we were making fun of. Um. Okay. So this is Hangover Square, 1945, directed by John Brom. Uh man, these uh, Lion King ads are really kicking my ass on IMDb. They really want me to go see this movie. Uh, I've already saw it, dude. Um, a promising classical musician finds his life poisoned by a music hall dancer and by the strange gaps in his memory. Um, so I've never seen this. This is uh, interesting. Um, directed or written by Bar- Barry Linden. Which I thought was kind of funny. Barry, Linda, yeah, yeah, I got a kick out of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Todd picked this. Uh, uh, maybe I can't remember your logic for picking. It. Maybe outside of just wanting to see it, but also maybe because um, uh, Laird Krieger, you had talked about him before, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd uh, I'd read a review of a Laird Krieger biography, uh, and they talked in the review extensively about Hangover Square. I'm like, oh, that sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. I and, picked this one. Yeah, and for those who don't know who Laird Krieger is, 
probably most well known for the John Brom version of the Lodger, I believe. Probably yeah. even yeah. like played Jack the Ripper in that. And he was uh, kind of an up and comer. He kind of had a strong face and everything else. And but he was a big man. He was a three hundred pound man for most of his life. And uh, then uh, you know a lot of pressure to obviously be a leading man. Dropped a ton of weight, hundred plus pounds, in a very short amount of time. Ended up dying of a heart attack, which is what will happen if you try to drop weight really quickly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, pro tip don't do that yes take your time enjoy your sweets a little bit just cut back <laughs> moderation oh, my yeah. friend moderation yeah, moderation don't go crazy but unfortunately hollywood is full of terrible stories like this because people feel the pressure to uh look great and he does look i i, I know him from black swan right because uh, i'm a bit of a tyrone power fan and i know him from that and um I remember thinking this guy's got a great face. He's a large man. He's a big dude. I mean, I got I had to have seen him in other stuff. And I saw the lodger. I never seen this, but them watching this, I was like, "Holy shit. No wonder he ended up passing away. He looks like he looks ill." He's yeah. Lo- he's lost yeah, yeah. so much weight, so. Um, and even then he's still he's still pretty big in this, so. Oh yeah, he was a big guy. Yeah, he was a big dude, so. Don't know what kind of crash diet he went on, so just know that that's what happened and he had stomach problems and I think he, I don't know if he had a heart attack for say. I know he had surgery. He had stomach surgery or something like that. And then he died of a heart attack. So maybe, but either way, be careful out there, kitties. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, who wants to lead on this? Hangover Square. Hangover, hangover, hangover. Cotter, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you, it kind of breaks form, but if you want to, I can. I don't, I don't know. What have you guys want? Uh, yes, man. If you want to take it, take it. Sure. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, uh, like that I, George Harvey Bone. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I had never seen this, nor had I heard of it. I had to look this up, and you guys said we're covering Hangover Square next week. I had to fight the urge to say Hangover, Hangover. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yes, yeah, so I had never heard of it. Uh, I had seen that Keen Larva put it out. They have a pretty good track record. Dug a little deeper. And it had a pretty good pedigree, um, so I was I was excited, right? Uh, I'll be forthright in saying, probably the forties and fifties is a little bit. I would I wouldn't say blonde. Well, out of all the decades, I tend to, you know, pre sixties. I mean, I, I'm good, but you know, this was one I definitely not heard of. So. Um, yeah, I was excited because I think there's a really great pedigree here. Um, you guys mentioned Laird Krieger, Lindenar, Linda Darnell. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, you got George Sanders, of course. Right? So, and I want to say, too, Bernard Herman did the score, yep. right? So I was, okay, you got my attention. And the DOP, Joseph Lachelle, uh, good DOP, very good DOP, shot a lot of stuff that's fantastic. Laura, yep. The Apartment, Marty, um, tw- a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes, something called the Fuzzy Pink Nightgown. Hmm. Yeah. I rode the pink horse to go buy that. <laughs> yes, I bet you did. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he... he uh, you know, good pedigree, right? So, uh, threw this one on, and it almost felt, just in terms of all the the technical stuff being very high end for the time, and very, very, 
uh, well-oiled. It felt almost like Fritz Long a little bit, like to me, just in terms of, I look at some of his stuff and the techniques he used and, and the uh, people he worked with always felt just well-oiled and just mm -hmm. timeless in terms of their quality. And, and some of the early crane shots and it just, it felt like his stuff, which is always just classy and ahead of its time. Um, or timeless, I guess, is a more accurate statement. Yeah. Now, there's some really nice uh, crane work in this movie. Uh, there is. Oh, yeah. In that beginning shot, but especially during the concerto itself, man, that camera moves all over the place. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Work. It needed to. Yeah. It needed to get up there high, man, because lenses, it's almost like uh, the Russians in the 50s where they, they had no fear of flame, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, they'd get the camera right in there, and those cameras weren't light, so... Um, yeah, and I want to say, of course, Keenan Lorber, good job on the restoration. The film looks fantastic. Very, very, very good. Uh, the film opens up, and we see a very pointy-ass knife. <laughs> very pointy. Um, we see that women have... Uh, there's lots of hats, lots of women in hats in this one, as do the dudes. This was the age of haberdashery, I guess. This is Higgins approved in terms of the hats. Uh, you mentioned Linda, good old Linda Darnell here. And she's one of these actresses that I, I'd never seen. And I don't think I had anyway. She She's done, you know, looking back at her stuff, she's done uh, Zorro films, a bunch of stuff that I'd never really, never really seen. She worked with Sanders before in Forever Amber, interestingly yeah. enough. She's beautiful. And well, she's, she was, yeah, she was probably, most people probably know her more, most likely from uh, My Darling Clementine, I'm going to guess, oh. uh, where she plays Chihuahua, the uh, the uh, girlfriend of um, uh, Victor Mature. Oh, nice. Very nice. Okay. Yeah, so she uh, always got cast as uh, a Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dark yeah, features, yeah. right? Yeah. Dark features. I wonder if. Uh, she had any Hispanic in her? She, I know she's born in Texas. She also died uh, quite young. Yeah, there's a lot of people in this film. Forty-one. A lot of, except for Alan Napier, the most uh, George Sanders, of course, had a tragic end too. He lived a long time, but he ended up committing suicide. Oh, man, right yeah. after, right after Psychomania. You remember he's in that movie? Yep. So. I'm trying to remember who he was in Psychomania. Uh, he was the uh, the butler, wasn't he? I think he's the old guy. That's all I remember because most of <laughs> Psychomania. <laughs> Most everybody in Psychomania was young, so he was the old yeah, guy. Yeah, that's that's why I was trying to think of who he could have been, but yeah. the butler. Oh, the the main character's butler, because he was a yeah. rich kid, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. But um, this is a classic case. This is going to sound kind of silly, but you see Darnell, and you look at her pictures, and you think, okay, great. But much like someone like Sophia Loren, um, when you see them living, breathing on screen, that's when you get a sense of how intoxicating they are. So I think she's really well cast as this object of affection in the film. Mm -hmm. right? yes. she's, she's really great. Uh, and early on, they kind of set up this. And I think, too, you know, this is kind of a commentary on on celebrity and fame. I mean, you can look at some of the stuff they're touching on in this. And uh, Darnell's character is at one end of the spectrum in terms of her moral compass and what she's willing to do. She's always jockeying for position. And Bone loves music, right? He's a musician. He 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 loves what he does. But I think he's he's certainly more unassuming, and he's certainly uh, much more naive about things than uh, Darnell's character is. Um, Yikes! She died in a house fire. Ooh. Yeah, that's a terrible. Wow. Terrible, terrible uh, way to go. Um, 
Well, it's, it's it's interesting because you know Bone develops this thing for for the Darnell character, and it's kind of this meeting of uh, high art and low art, right? Because she's a burlesque yeah. know, performer, uh, and she's you know she's basically like the the femme fatale. If you were going to look at this, as, she as, is as sort of like a gothic noir, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, she sees something in Bone that she can manipulate, and his pal, his pal Mickey, who doesn't really show up too too much, but he shows up enough to know that he's not exactly on the up and up either. Uh, but you know, you, he uh, Bone has the, the choice between you know the chase, true love, right, and the hot bimbo. So I mean, because his girlfriend is uh, is a little more uh, high class, and she's a little more. Um, kind of uh, polished and all that sort of thing and she's a little more normal Refined, let's yeah. say yeah uh but then you know there's there's obviously the, you know then there's the uh the, the allure of uh electric sex as they say in uh, a christmas story which would be uh, the darnell character um but at the same time you know uh the the bone characters honestly he's he's fairly petty and jealous he's he has very not attractive traits Yes, he um, does. When it comes to that, I mean, on top of the obvious traits, uh, like when you know when you jump into the movie, uh, the very first thing you see is uh, is that you get this sense that if he's not evil, then he's certainly a gray character. Mm -hmm. So you know, we have no real context for for what happens in the beginning of the movie. Yes, which we didn't really touch on. The the it does open and it's funny because my kids were watching this not to interject, but sure. I said to them, Okay boys, so this is one where instead of asking who did it, we have to find out why they did it. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a great setup, right? I mean you can kinda of walk backwards from there and, and start to put the pieces in place the puzzle. Yeah. Right. I find the Well So I was confused with the the um, Barbara character and the George Harvey Bone. At first, I thought maybe they were boyfriend girlfriend. Second, and then, then I thought they were like brother and sister, didn't you? Yeah, there's that. And then, of course, the the George Sanders character is kind of uh, courting the Barbara character a little bit. A little bit. So you know, George is kind of it's it's confusing relationship, but you can see that he has interest in Barbara. But Barbara is very it's almost it is almost sisterly, almost motherly. That relationship, yeah. yeah, and of course, well, she, like you said, you know, the electric sexual nature of the Ned and Longden character, yeah, is you know, because she is Lyndon Arnell in this movie is pure sex. Oh my God, yeah, and that's you yep. know, the reason why we're growling and doing all the the boy stuff we're doing here because that is yeah how she sold here, yeah, and um and and, and, she, and rightfully hey, so hey, she sells it well, yeah, yeah, rightfully so. so I mean, she sure does. Sure, sure. She's supposed to be that. She's supposed to be this temptation. I think, you know, one of the things I found befuddling, to use a fancy word here, about this movie, <laughs> there's a lot of psychobabble in this movie. That yes, like, there is. But the, that's part of the course for the yeah, time, right? Yeah, for the time. But if you listen to it, it's like, what the hell? Where are they coming up with this shit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what it's books like did they out, read? It's straight out of Italy, this shit is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great call. <laughs> yeah. It totally is. Where are they coming up with this stuff? Now, at the time, there, this might have been perfectly fine, psychobabble and everything else. But as we know from... Uh, films and books and and maybe our own therapy, <laughs> me included. The uh, you know some of this stuff makes no sense. And but I think you know at the end of the day, this is really just kind of a riff on uh, Jekyll and Hyde in a way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much. And it also, I mean, it also all this psych psychological hoo ha um, is really just kind of a, a setup for a, a like quasi unreliable narrator, right? I mean, you precisely. Can't really you can't really trust anything that he says yeah, because yeah. you know he's always doubting it. 
I gotta say, uh, so we doubt it. I gotta say, I hate to use this term, but man, Netta is a bitch. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's a hot character, but my god, what a bitch! <laughs> she is the most selfish. Character. She is very so she oh steps on anyone and everyone. She's <laughs> oh always she's working the room before she like the second she gets in there, she's sizing up how she can get a foot up, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. And yep. she'll just walk on anybody to get where she needs to go. And it's like mm-hmm. you oh, really she like does it straight to his face. Yeah, and you really oh, yeah. feel for the Harvey Bone character, the George Bone character, Harvey Bone. You really feel for the George Bone character because it's like, dude, you just got fucking stomped. You didn't get stepped oh, yes. on, you got gets- stomped. He gets dumped so brutally that we forget the fact that he's a murderer and he breezes his girlfriend for this. Yes. Like yeah. he becomes sympathetic in spite of those things. Yes, yep. exactly. It's very strange because, you yeah. know, it's he, he's a murderer. You're watching a murderer. And yeah. it's no spoiler to talk about that because that's how the film opens. Opening. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like Will said, you're not you're not it's not a who done it, it's a why do it. Yep. Yeah. If that's a proper term. That's hey, I like that. A who done it? No, this is a why do it. There you go. <laughs> that's right. And uh, so you know that from the get go, but you think to yourself, Jesus, even the, even with that, this that's she's a cold hearted, cold hearted snake. snake. <laughs> she don't play by rules. Right. Uh oh, that's right. Boy, don't play the fool. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting about the, the opening uh, scene is that we never get any context for that that uh, that particular incident. Oh, no. we no. never understand no. why that happened, why he was in that place, why nothing. Outside as far of the as, fact, as far that, as I can remember, yeah, that guy had a nice beard. That's about he all. Did. <laughs> he did have a nice beard. <laughs> Thinking, don't kill the don't kill the guy with a nice beard, man. No. And him and uh, Alan Napier have some nice beard work going on in this movie. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Alan Napier would go on to be, uh, I think, uh, wouldn't he be going to be Commissioner Gordon on the, the no, original? No, he was uh, Alfred, I believe. Oh, was he Alfred? Oh yeah, he was. Looks like an Alfred. Yeah, he was Alfred on the '66 Batman series. That's right. I can't remember who Commissioner Gordon was, but he was. He was uh, off the top of my head. I don't remember. I'm gonna Come look, on, Todd. I'm gonna look. I'm, I'm slacking. <laughs> I'm gonna look at that because I. Yeah, he was. He was Alfred. Yeah. Nice. Who the fuck? Well, now I gotta go. Now I gotta go and look and see who Commissioner Gordon was. <laughs> While well, you're looking up Commissioner Gordon, we should say Faye Marlowe, the Barbara Chapman character, is still alive. She's 93, I think. Wow. Wow. Good for Good her. For her, man. That's impressive. Neil Hamilton uh, was Commissioner Gordon. Who? Was that? Neil Hamilton. Hey. Neil Hamilton. When you think about it. Can you believe there's 120 episodes of that Batman series? Yes, I can. That's crazy. <laughs> I think I've only seen like fifteen or twenty over That's and over and over again. The same <laughs> yeah. fucking episode. Yeah, they are. There's about five uh, at most, really. Uh, you know who I liked in this film? I don't think there was enough of him, and I guess it really didn't suit the film. Was Glenn Langan? He's good. Oh. He's kind of handsome and charming, and oh yeah, uh, Eddie S. Eddie Carstairs. Yeah, he's he's good in the film. Um, and I'll say this too, just speaking about the technical merits of the film. I felt like this film was really well edited for the time. A lot of times, even with some hitch or some stuff from the era, it can sometimes be ed- edited clunkily. Yeah, the transitions between scenes, it just they're kind of abrupt. But this this was quite well edited. I'm, I'm curious who the editor is now, but uh, I thought it was well edited. This is um, yeah. I mean, this is uh, Harry Reynolds was the editor, um, and uh, I I would think I, I me personally, I think that this is this is slick as shit uh, from oh, step yeah. to stern. Um, and uh, Harry Reynolds also supposedly worked on uh, London After Midnight, the famous lost Lon Chaney film. Oh, wow. So, um, but 
you know, I think that this thing is is just amazing technically. Yeah. Uh, there's there's shit going on here for 1945 that just you know is jaw dropping to this day. Yeah. I would put this up in certain aspects mm-hmm. uh, against almost anything. Well, John Brahm it comes from the comes from a German background, so it's, it's right. got a strong well, sense of there that you German. go. You get that strong German expressionist yeah. kind of. And his version deal. of the Lodger, if you haven't seen his version of the Lodger, is really good. I should check it out. I've not seen yeah, it. You should definitely check it out. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Sammy, because, of course, um, the German film industry was uh, ahead of the curve, right? So, yeah, yeah no, that's uh, that's a good point there. The Germans Very and the Russians point. were really ahead of the curve visual, visually. Yeah, visually and technically, they they yeah. really yeah were. Um, I think, too, one of the things I like, again, I, I hate to always say for its time and, 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 and preface it, but you guys talked about the cycle babble and that stuff can age a film, but I felt like the bone character when we, when we kind of go backwards and we see him kind of lose his mind a bit, that descent is slow. And I think it's relatively subtle for the time, which I like, it doesn't, it's not like some reefer madness kind of, you know, hopped up hysteria that just comes out of nowhere. I think to see him break down and him fighting it, um, yeah, uh, the weight of that on the character I, I thought was great. And you guys talk about the, the this German expressionist kind of feel, but I was, yeah, I was disconnected with that and say the, the lighting, right? The fantastic use of lighting in this film throughout. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's draped in shadows, this thing is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the sequence where... Because Brom really manufactures tension well. There's a scene, and we're not spoiling anything here, but there's a scene when Bones trying to dispose of the body, mm-hmm. and there's a mask, mm-hmm. yeah. and that mask is precariously on there, and it looks like it's going to slip off. Yeah, yeah. And it becomes that funny thing where, where you're rooting for the mask to not slip off, in spite of the fact that this this guy's just murdered someone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that scene is pure <laughs> Hitchcock. Yes, it is, and yeah. it's fantastically done. Yeah. Yes, oh my god, yeah, it's very well. Yeah, done. It's a really great scene. Bone has great eyes. Yes, Laird Krieger. They're used, they're used quite effectively yeah. in the film. If you look at his film history, if you look at his uh, short career, his eyes and his face were the the dominant part. Like I said, he always played the heavy. No pun intended, because he was a big man. But he's a big guy. Yeah, yeah he had the, he had the heavy face. He had great eyes and uh, kind of a a large nose that kind of. Not not in a bad way, you know. When I say that, I always think people are, think it's an insult, but it's not. I mean, no, no, not at all. It's very prolific and just a very angular, nice face. Yeah, no, yeah, he's, he's very distinct, and he has like a very soft voice a lot of the time. Yes, yes. So he yeah. could, he could do like gentle and menacing, but I mean, for I, I don't I, I don't think that he could ever completely be leading man material. Maybe back then he could have. Yeah, he was born. Um, he was born in Philadelphia, PA, which I find interesting. Huh. I wonder if he always faked an English accent or if he went overseas or what. Yeah, usually you don't get the Americans doing the British accents. It comes quite seamless the other way, but yep. that's... Uh, huh. well, he does it pretty well. Theater, maybe. I think they have a theater background. They have uh, a theater. Theater. Yeah. Yes, he probably he might did. have. He might have. Don't uh, know. One thing I felt like, and maybe the film didn't really need it, but because Sanders is so good... I don't think we had enough Sanders as sort of the foil. Like there wasn't yeah. enough sort of chess between yep. those two, right? That could have. Um, well, he's much more. He's much more like. Uh, he's almost like a, a detective character more than he is like a, a psychologist. 
Correct. Guys, right? Because he works Correct. for Scotland Yard, but he's a, a psychologist for Scotland Yard. Yeah. Right. But they they could have used a little more of him. Oh, kind of absolutely. The walls closing absolutely. in via him, right? So. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll tell you the great sequence. Let me see how much. Oh yeah, I don't have a lot more notes actually. Great sequence again, well edited, well put together, uh, with Bone as uh, he's in the, the theater. And the police are closing in and he's starting to recall what he's done. Mm -hmm. Just again, wonderfully edited, uh, the rhythm, the pace of it. Uh, let's editing really is a lot of rhythm and pace, right? Essentially they they become the D the, the DJs in a way of, of the films and they have to have everything kind of sync up properly. And that sequence is great. And my last note, not to spoil it, it this is one of the more memorable finales yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen in, in recent memory. Um, yeah. Tremendous feat. And my last note is that commitment to the concerto. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he is committed. Yes. And so is Barbara, for that matter. I, you know, it's funny. We talked about his kind of gentle nature. Every time I kept hearing him say, Oh, Barbara, please help me, Barbara. I kept thinking of, uh, like, uh, the Night of the Living Dead. They're coming, coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking of that. Look. Look, Barbara. <laughs> that was one, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. fun fact, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, ouch. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll say a few things about the film since Todd selected it. I'll jump in here a little bit. Uh I did. The camera work was striking. The set was nice. I love the fact that the like road is under construction. Yeah. That uh, that area that they're in. And odd, oddly, when I was just looking this up, there's been a remake of this movie, and I didn't know that. 2009, a director named Ansel Farage uh, oh. did a remake of this, and I was like, oh, it's so weird that it's got the same title, and then I clicked on it, and it says George Harvey Bone. No. So I'd, I'd be curious, now, now that's got my interest peaked. This uh, remake here. So, I hope it does its justice. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it says drama, romance, thriller, 93 minutes. So it's already 20 minutes longer than this film. I don't know. Don't yeah. Know. Yeah. This thing's only like 78 minutes, something like that. Yep. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... And it's set in the same time, sort yeah. of uh, pre World War II. So I guess they, they made it a period piece, which. No. Interesting. Huh. Um,. So obviously somebody had seen it before. Um, like you said, screenplay by Barre Linden. Barre Linden. So that's kind of funny to see. Oh that. Barre. <laughs> oh Barre. Uh, but like I said, the psycho babble. I'm not sure how accurate that stuff is, but it is fun to kind of listen to. And it is very much a film noir. It does uh, real nice. Uh, I do like when some one of the characters gets drunk that he said he was a bit squiffed. I'm like, squiffed. <laughs> what is that's a new one for me? A squiffed. Uh, you know, thought that's the noise a vagina makes. Anyway, <laughs> it's close. Add me there. Yeah, I mean, this is this is basically a noir, but it's like gothic. Uh, it's, it's very very early in the genre, and I think it's certainly an outlier uh, in the genre to some degree or another. Yeah, uh, not being you know all that involved with uh, with really like cr the criminal element per se, right? Yes. Correct. Yes. As but a, I mean, that's the, the big thing that that kind of you know makes it noir, in my opinion, is the uh, the Darnell character being that you know just classic, classic femme fatale. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she absolutely is. The um, the the songwriting sequence is interesting for me as a song as a guy who's written a few songs in his lifetime. Um, 
not saying that it's torturous work, but it takes a little longer than a couple of chords and somebody singing a few lines over your back of your neck or something like that to write a song. But hey, <laughs> does it? <laughs> each to each their own. I don't know. Hangover, hangover, uh, hangover, hangover. Well, yeah, uh, I, I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want me to, I can play some more of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it is interesting. My note here literally is that is a real bitch, and it makes the audience get behind George a bit, which is just strange. Which is bizarre, yeah. yeah. And uh, I tell you what, man, here's something I've I've come to realize about 40s and 50s movies. Newsboys nowadays would get struck down for being spoiler alerts. I mean, <laughs> to sell a newspaper back in the day, you told the whole story. Yeah. Lady murdered, yeah. found in a fire. Here she goes. They think conductor did it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. It's like, oh, I don't need to buy the paper. Thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were the spoilers of the day. I never even thought about it. They, were the, they were the clickbait of the day. Yeah, they yeah. were. Oh, they God, were. yeah. I, I kept, uh, one of the things I loved about the movie is that thuggy nut. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I keep bringing yeah, yeah. up uh, the thuggy nut. And I kept, I, I loved it every time they said it. And I love the George Sanders character is so, so observant that he pulls a, a piece of uh, cloth off a curtain and says, this has got folds in it. As if it's been tied into a thuggy knot. <laughs> it's like, man, you're very specific. You're very Bruce Wayne-ish. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really know. You really know what you're looking for. You gotta know how to read the wrinkles, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> In both I mean, uh, curtain sashes and scrotum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've ran into a few thuggy knots in my day. <laughs> a few balloon knots, too. Yeah, <laughs> Tied that thuggy knot with them anal beads. Uh, <laughs> 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 like, whoa. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Prolapse. Anyhow. <laughs> my Sweeney Todd fell out. The uh, But it does have some of the... Uh, those elements, I, I think what uh, what I like about this movie and what I really enjoyed, uh, outside of just the camera work and how well it's directed, is it's got that very classic, like we said, Jekyll and Hyde, almost uh, Faustian type of elements to it, right? The tortured artist. Um, what I like about the George character, the Bone character, is that he, he knows something's wrong with him. Like, he's trying to get help, yeah. but he doesn't really know how to do it. And uh, he's really this... These ultimately very tortured artists, and we've seen these stories over and over and over again throughout history, be it with alcoholism or or whatever. But the film noir elements, the Linda Darnell character and everything else adds gives it just a little bit more spice mm-hmm. and takes it in a different way. And I really enjoyed that and stuff. And yeah, and if you're a cat lover, you might have uh, some issues. Uh yeah. That cat uh that cat scene's interesting. I mean that cat jump runs away and then wow, fastest horse carriage I've ever seen. It really uh, takes the cat out. So then they pick it up and it doesn't move at all. <laughs> Just like isn't, <laughs> isn't that crazy? And I think you mentioned this, Sammy, in the beginning, talking about these two films. But uh, cat and dog bite the biscuit on our between our two films this yeah. week. Yeah, and I think it's a fair to give a warning of those things because uh, yeah, uh, some people can can be completely turned off for whatever reason. We're human beings. I don't understand. Absolutely, it. yeah, yeah. You know, we 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 accept a murder in our movies of our own kind, but a lot of times, when it comes to animals, people can be completely turned off. But uh, just remember to listen to my new signal. That Dougie nut. Hangover, hangover, hangover. <laughs> hangover, hangover, hangover. That Dougie, not Dougie, not Dougie, not Dougie, not. <laughs> I got a hit on my hands, I'm telling you guys. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. Uh, 
So yeah, Bone has the, the the blackouts, right? But the thing is that the Barbara character knows about them. Yeah. So she's she's like constantly like it felt really weird uh, seeing the way that she would react because he he'd come in and be like, I don't know what I did. Uh, did yeah. I do that? Did I murder the guy? And she's like, No, that couldn't have been you. Obviously not. No, no, no. Such a torturous thing for a guy to hear loud noises and go off the deep end when you're when you're a musician. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. He's 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 put a bad in break. Having to, <laughs> he's put in the position of having to give up what he loves to stay yeah. to save his uh, his sanity. Yeah, it's a bad break. Metallica would have fucking took him over the deep end. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly that song I played. <laughs> <laughs> that would have definitely taken anybody over the deep end. It's taking me over the deep end right now. Ooh. <laughs> All right, I'll kick it over to you, Todd. But I didn't have a lot to add because Will kind of touched on everything, and I kind of chimed in there a little bit, but. I, I was struck by the movie and then think, uh, yeah, it was very mostly, good. Yeah, uh, mostly, there's not really. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I, I haven't got a hell of a lot left to uh, <laughs> to add on to that. You do get an honest-to-God blowhorn uh, when Darnell calls for the cab, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I got a kick out of. I was like, holy shit, I've actually just seen a blowhorn. That's right. Um, you get, uh, yeah, like we were saying, I mean, the thing is the thing is technically just gorgeous to look at in, in multiple ways from – uh, score to cinematography uh, makes terrific use of uh, high and low angles, um, and you see you get that a lot. There's very few shots in the film that are straight on. Uh, there's always an angle somewhere. It's either you know really really low, really really high, or moving. It's you know overhead. It's all this stuff. Um, fantastic look at uh, the movie. Does basically yeah, yeah. I mean like Sammy was saying, it's, it's essentially just Jekyll and Hyde. It goes basically the way you expect it. Uh, but the, the thing is that it, it is incredibly well handled. Um, Mr. Bone has one of the most unstable violin shelves in the history of cinema. Uh, I think it like right. it, basically nothing hits it and it just collapses. Yeah. Uh, just so we could have another episode there. Swedish it ain't. Actually, Swedish it is. <laughs> that IKEA. It's a uh, yeah popsicle sticks. Something holding. Yeah. Up. Right. Uh, right. So. <laughs> Uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the film, he's basically playing the score for his situation. Um, did you notice that he's like the way that he's playing his, his little concerto actually sounds a little bit more like a uh, the score for a film? Yeah. Uh, yeah, as it's ramping up towards the end. Yep. And I really like that. It's a nice little you know self reflexive touch that I liked. And then yeah, I mean this thing has a great warped ending. Um, you see a lot of people, like the actual actors uh, involved with uh, some pretty hairy looking. Yeah, uh, sets there. I'd say this was pre-code for that kind of stuff. It had to have been. Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or oh, at least yeah. they, or at least they needed the money. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's got a great, great, great ending. Uh, sums things up, and it looks it, I, like everything else in the film. It, it plays out, you know, spectacularly. Um, that's not to say it doesn't have a little bit of pacing issues here and there. Um, but otherwise I would highly recommend this thing, uh, to just about anybody, Yeah. uh, period. <clears throat> I mean, just period. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really good. And I, like I said, I didn't say anything in my notes, but the ending is amazing. I mean, it's, it's really, really good. <laughs> you think it's going to go there and it just, go, and I, I, I thought watching it, I thought, okay, well, they'll just go to a shot from the outside and we'll know. That's what I figured. But, but no, they, they stayed there. <laughs> yeah. And like I said to you guys, I was kind of surprised because there's clearly it looks like an actual actor or stuntman sitting in there. Yep. And that is a ton of smoke. I mean, just a ton of smoke. That was unbelievable. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to done that. I wouldn't. No. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, 
It's more smoky than Snoop Dogg's bus, bruh. Ooh, hangover, hangover, hangover. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's all that I got. All right. It's going to right. make or break. Send right. tease. Make or break scene. As much as I always like to be sort of uh, picked up and gently rocked into assurance, I got to go with the finale because it just, it's so memorable to me. Um, in terms of being visually striking, and also the technical um, ability to pull it off and just testament to the dedication to the craft to pull something like that off because I wouldn't want to be in the mixed, in the midst of that. But uh, that's my make or break MVT. I'm going to go with uh, Brahm on this one. Um, really caught my eye. I, I got to say, I got to look at his version of The Lodger and... Really, really good stuff. I'm going to give this one a seven and a half out of ten. I thought it was fantastic. Nice. Um, yeah, great stuff. Man. What a nice little treat. Never heard of it. And now it's one I'm going to drop on people looking for you know, a bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. Go oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, my MVT, I, well, I'll do make, make, my make or break first, is also the climax. It's, it's always a bit tricky. I, I've said this so many times on the show, but it's always a bit tricky when your make or break is the climax of a film because... You're essentially saying, yeah, man, just hang in there. The best thing's going to happen at the end, <laughs> which is obviously the way most films try to kind of sell themselves, right? I mean, everybody wants a great climax, and you don't always get one, but <laughs> in more ways than one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we all want that, uh, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Uh, this one delivers, though. This one really does. It gives you exactly what I think you want, but it'll, I bet it'll surprise you, too. I bet you'll see it, and you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> I guarantee you will. I don't care how many films you've seen. I guarantee you'll see the end of this, and you'll think, man, did Arizal see this? Oh, I know. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, my MVT, I, I would go with Brahm as well. That's a good choice. That's a great choice. Can't argue with that choice. I'm going to go with Krieger just because mm. there's just not a lot of stuff with Krieger out there. True. And uh, this is really his show. He's mostly known as a character actor or supporting player. And uh, I think after The Lodger, they were trying to make him a star. And unfortunately, like I said, he passed away. But um, uh, he's really good in the movie. He really is. And he does a real good job of playing this kind of sop. Uh, but kind of a brute. A brutish sop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a contradiction, right? He looks yeah. like he's one way and then he's certainly another way yeah. altogether. It's pretty good. It's pretty interesting. And uh, my score is also the same as Will's, 7.5. I really liked it. It really is a treat. All righty. Uh, be be well, picking this up on that next Kino Lorper sale. Yeah, right. Mm. Uh, make or break for me is, as much as I love the finale, I'm going with the bonfire scene. That's a good one, too. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that oh, it is. Oh, so good. It's, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's just it's incredibly tense. It's, it's incredibly well done. Gialli-esque, Hitchcock. It's yes. incredibly Gialli-esque. Yes, yeah, totally it is. is. Um, so, yeah, great, great stuff there. Uh, MVT, yeah, for me, it's going to be Brom. Uh, the story's pretty standard. The performances are, are good, but he gives it a lot of style, and he keeps things interesting. And score for me, we're going with a fucking hat trick this week. It is 7.5. Nice. Hat trick means yeah. me, right? Sure does. In Canadian go. speak. <laughs> it, means, hey. it means loaf, uh, loaf pincher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me go off the air. <laughs> but uh yeah it's 7.5 out of 10 yeah this thing is definitely something this I is a, on just about anybody. this is a piece of cloth with three thuggy knots tied in it here bro it is <laughs> this is three anal bead uh, knots three thuggy knots out of four 
All the way across the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, they, they, I agree. You know, I, I wonder if, I wonder what the first cinematic representation, oh, that was a hard word for me to say for some reason. Like I had a <laughs> mini stroke or something during that moment. Um, I wonder what the first, yeah, <laughs> that was my hangover, hangover. <laughs> I wonder what the first representation of Guy Fawkes Day is in cinema. Because this is a yeah. Guy Fawkes Day thing. Yeah, so. just sitting there. I saw that my kids were like, "What are they doing?" Yeah, so this is a little V for Vendetta. Yeah, they're going to burn. They're going to uh, explode Parliament. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Well, see, back in the day, we thought about exploding Parliament, so that's what yeah. we did. So like Andy Griffin explained it to me. Well, let me tell you something, Ope. That's right. <laughs> Come on, Andy. <laughs> All right, so that's our thoughts on Hangover Square. Uh, good stuff, man. Nice little gym. Todd, Todd dug up a gym. And uh, so we'll uh, move on from that, and we'll talk about Panic and Needle Park next, the feel-good movie of 1971. We'll be right back after this. Todd, that song kind of kicks ass a little bit for me. It I'm kinda, not... <laughs> it does, uh, it's got a nice cat. It's, uh, yeah. it's groovy. I, I think I could, I could probably get into that. I might add that to my playlist. Yeah, no, that's pretty good, man. So we, we come across stuff by accident a lot. You know, thanks thanks to the wonderful world of streaming uh, services and everything else, nowadays you can search for anything. And uh, we and Ty were kind of joking around about songs called Needle Park. And uh, we listened to a couple, and a couple didn't hit the spot, and then we came across that one. By a band called Linum, L-Y-N-A-M. And, uh, yeah, there we go. The rest is history. Maybe I've turned some people on to Linum. So, thank you. You're welcome, Linum. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Hopefully we'll you... Take the, the, you could send the 10% and uh, yeah, yeah. write a check for it. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think I will be... Uh, I can tell you right now, if you can still see my screen... There we go. That is, <laughs> oh, you that put is, the little hard fly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you it's, put the hard fly. It's in. been added. <laughs> it's in my life now for good. So every time I hear it, I'll think about me and you going through Needle Park songs. Yeah, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> all right. So as usual, I'm having all that fun doing that, and I don't have the movie set up, but it shouldn't take. <laughs> uh, there it is, right there. Not a lot of movies with Panic. We and you've done a couple though. We did Panic in the Streets. Was that it? We did uh, Panic in the Streets. I don't think I oh, was done. No, that no. One, what was, was that? What was that Panic movie we did? Didn't we do a Panic movie with Ray Milan? 
Oh, Panic in Year Zero. Yeah, Panic in Year Zero. There it is. Oh, no, it wasn't Panic in the Streets. <laughs> so, yeah. There we go. Now, that was the Jack Balance uh, <laughs> Ilya Kazan deal. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, so, you know. Anyway, we're into another Panic this time. Yes. God, God, this has got a great poster, Ella. I think I always like this poster. God help Bobby and Helen. They're in love. And yeah, it's almost like Last House on the Left in a way. That sort yeah. of yeah. tag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basic plot synopsis, 1971, directed by Jerry Schatzberg, uh, follows the lives of heroin addicts who frequent Needle Park in New York City, which I'm not absolutely certain was a real place, um, but I'm sure that every city has an area similar to a Needle Park um, where drugs are an issue. Uh, usually it's in a poor part of town. Um, this film is probably most notable for being Al Pacino's debut. Uh, in cinema mm. so uh, that'll probably be the thing that uh, we'll talk about quite a bit um, and of course the acting uh, I think it's memorable for the acting in general because uh, I think that's probably what it's it's real strength is, is maybe in the acting and the kind of simplicity of the story but yeah this is known even though I th- it's, it says on uh, it says on IMDB that uh, Pacino's first movie is called Me Natalie uh, as far as I know, this was his debut, and then a year afterwards, he did the uh, the Godfather. So that's that's what I know. But we'll see. All right, we are back. The <laughs> Lord Williams back. Yeah, chairs creaking, and <laughs> that's it. Uh, it's crazy. I'm looking at Al Pacino's filmography. It feels like he's done a lot more than 61 credits. It's crazy to me. Mm. Doesn't need doesn't work as much as you think. Um, okay, who wants to lead on this one? I don't care. I, I chose it because I'd wanted to revisit it. Uh, uh, yeah, no. Will took uh, the last one. You picked this, so I'll uh, I'll take the lead if that's all right. The prince is going to run this one down. The prince is going to get an all in a panic. Yeah. So, all right. So the first two shots are on a subway. It's extremely claustrophobic. Uh, you, this is where we meet the Kitty Wynn character. Um, she's clearly going through trauma. Uh, you know, things didn't go well at her appointment, let's say, uh, even though it's not really given anything away to say what actually happened. But the film, this is the first time that you realize that the film doesn't actually go out and tell you things outright. Um, even though... Uh, you know, it's telling you all that you need to know. It's not. There's a lot of things that it will it will just completely skip over, and it expects you to to pick it up, and you do uh, because it's 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 that you know it's well enough written, well enough uh, done that you know it uh, it gives the the audience a little bit of credibility for having a bit of a brain. But at the same time, uh, it is not setting you up for happiness, um, and you get uh, Raul Julia, who is just an absolute jerk. Uh, yes. So right off the right off the bat. Um, Pacino does his Pacino thing. Uh, this is very much like Scarecrow Pacino. Yes, it uh, is. And his headband game is on point. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And, and it, one of the, as is his neckerchief or ascot game. I know, right? He's insane with that shit. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that I found really, really, really odd, uh, and maybe it's because I wouldn't think this way, is that he moves in pretty fast on uh, on Kitty Wynn. Yeah. Uh, all things being equal, um, I don't know that that would be the situation where I would, uh, you know, swoop in on a check. Um, but maybe that's just me. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, so, Schatzberg's approach to the film uh, is very, very gutter level. You could feel New York City. Um, you know, whether he's shooting, 
he does a lot of guerrilla style sort of uh, street uh, street scenes, um, or whether he's shooting in a more you know lockdown environment like a flop house or something like that. Uh, you feel like just the the texture uh, of the city around these people is just you know grimy and gritty and it sticks to you. Um, so talking about Pacino, I never really cared for when he kind of does his little clown shtick. Um, but the thing is that, you know, everybody knows that he brings a thunder when he needs to, and he certainly does here. Uh, he does, you know, when he, when he gets to, to go a bit more serious, a bit more, um, he's, uh, dark, uh, let's say, uh, you know, he, he does pretty well. I mean, he's still kind of, he's always been an overactor in very, very, very many ways, even though he's a really good overactor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it better than a lot of people who overact do, uh, and I think that's you know the the credit of uh, Pacino, the the uh, the the marking, the uh, defining mark of uh, Al Pacino, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the Kitty Wynn character, she's she's like partly innocent. Um, she's looking for a connection, right? She's charmed by Pacino because he shows her a little bit of kindness, intention, and attention. Um, she's uh, she's really really needy. Um, and you, you follow, I think her arc more than you do Pacino. So it's kind of yeah. like, yeah. you know, he's reeling her in and she goes along with it. And then there's just the, the progression of, of how she allows herself to, uh, to be taken in, yeah. uh, and to go along with the, the life that, uh, that Pacino has laid out for himself and that he, you know, chooses to lead. Yeah. It's one um, of those things where it's very dangerous for a character like the Kitty Wing character who seems lost. Yeah. It's very oh, and way over her. Head yeah, here, yeah. Clearly very dangerous for her to come across, unfortunately in her lifespan. And this happens in real life. So it's one of the aspects of the movie. And the reason why I'm chiming in here, one of the aspects about the movie that I like is that obviously she has no intention to become an addict. Right. But she kind of falls into it, and it's so dangerous for someone like her that it just becomes worse and worse and worse. And at the same time, even though the Pacino character is kind of shitty in some ways, he's very charming in others, the way addicts can sometimes be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, I mean- it's very interesting. He He's both affectionate and not affectionate towards her. Yes. And it's very odd, but eventually it's not about the relationship. It's about the fix, right? So, Right. Well, I mean, you have to you have to feel bad for Wynn, right? I mean, she lets herself be taken advantage of. It's yeah. clearly the pattern of her entire life. Yes. Um, she doesn't abandon Al, even after all the shit he puts her through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Well, yeah. And then when she takes up the habit, you know, it's out of curiosity. Uh, well, I, I was kind of wondering about this. I was wondering if it's out of curiosity or if it's to stay close to, to the Pacino character. Well, I think it's both. I, I would say it's both, but certainly at that point she's in love, right? Young, right. naive. She wants to be in his world and immersed yeah, in yeah. his world. And he, he seems to care about her, but the lifestyle and the addiction tends to override that. So Al's brother, Pacino's brother, is played by Richard Bright, who you, who you will recognize from uh, The Godfather, amongst other things. Yeah. Uh, and he's a burglar. Um, he and Pacino are really proud to be criminals. They're really proud to be outside of uh, society. Yeah. Um, there's a community at play in the film, uh, but at the same time, I've tended to think that the film seems to pity them. 
uh, or maybe that was just me putting my own sort of uh, like uh, what do they call that projection. Uh, projecting yeah. my own little my own uh, feelings towards them maybe uh it kind of treats their fil- their lifestyle like an expose mm. right uh there's he, he uses kind of this he uh Schatzberg uses a really very unobtrusive style in in a lot of ways uh and there's a lot of overlapping dialogue of characters like kind of bullshitting while we watch them shoot up in like graphic detail yeah uh yeah. you see the needles going in the skin you see you know like real needles going into real skin yeah, yeah. um and yet, at the same time, these people will turn on each other uh, when it comes to scoring, like on a dime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the film's uh, basically a progression of steps downward. Uh, it's interesting and sad in what these guys are willing to accept uh, for their addiction. And I, I have to, uh, I have to wonder if. Um, do you guys think that uh, this could be labeled as misery porn? Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. no. I don't think it revels in the squalor. Like, mm. I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's a frank. I think at the time we hadn't seen addiction and people on the skids as frankly and sort of clear-eyed um, presented in film. I don't know. Okay. It didn't. I mean, I never felt that way, but I get the sense from what you're saying that you did feel it was, it was a little bit of misery porn. A little bit. Uh, okay. I did That's think fair. it was a little bit that. Um, I don't think that, you know, well, okay. I think that it's difficult to say that this is an entertaining movie, yeah. uh, even though it's very well made, it's mm-hmm. very well acted, it is very well written. Yeah. That's uh, a very it, fair it is, statement. It is bleak. It is depressing, but it's honest, right? Yeah. Um, it's from a time when, you know, quote unquote, relevant didn't have to have a happy ending and typically didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I, so the way that I'm, I'm coming at the film, uh, I don't know if this is a particularly rewarding film uh, for me. I don't know if it's an insightful film, even though it, it has certain insights. Um it's a portrait of the, of the times, uh, in these two characters, right? The innocent person, the person who's already there and it's very well crafted, but I don't know. I have a hard time with this because I, you know, and, and Sammy and I kind of talked about this a little bit off the air. Excuse me. Um, I tend to like, I am a, a creature of habit in many, many ways. That's why, you know, I'm a smoker, um, trying to quit. I'm going to be quitting regardless. Uh, but at the same time, that's why I never got into uh, drugs because I knew that if I did something like that, then I would be fucked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so on, uh, you know. But but at the same time, I know that I I know that if I can keep myself away from certain things, then I know that I have no problems, you know, dealing with it. Uh, at the same time, I, you know, as I watch these characters, I tend to um, not really. I don't know. I I, I, t- I tend to want to to place uh, a little more accountability on them than I think the film does. Does that make sense? No, I think it does. Like, I, I, I think that I, yeah. I think that I think that I I just kind of I I have a little bit less sympathy for them. Yeah, no, you know, I, I agree. The, yeah. the choices that they made are shitty choices. Uh, were they made out of desperation? Were they made because they're flawed people? Or were they made yes. you know were they made just as a, a lark on one time? I don't know. 
Um, but at the same time, this is the situation that they're in. And, you know, I, I, I feel bad for them in a certain aspect. But at the other as- at the other end of it, I'm just kind of like, well, you know, but this is the hole that you dug. So I, I kind of I kind of tend to with films like this uh, in, in certain ways, I tend to just push myself away from it. Because I, you know, I just I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's... I think it's partially because you're a very practical person, and I think it's hard sometimes to see people just make bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision. Well, I think um, yeah, I, no, I think that's part. And you're very pragmatic. I don't know. It, 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 yeah, I don't know. You but I also I'm an think asshole. you can say it. I, I don't. I love you, and I think you're a sweet, kind person. But I also think that you are very practical and. I think look at people doing things. It's like, okay, how many times are you going to keep the cupboard door open and bang your head before you shut the fucking door? Uh, very much so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's but a lot of cupboard door being open in this. But that's the thing is, you know, I've never really, I've never cared for like junkie movies. Let's call but, them. But and that's the thing. I think also, I'll say this. I think Schatzberg um, doesn't uh, elicit or he doesn't get enough. It doesn't, doesn't not enough. He doesn't draw as much sympathy as, other filmmakers might. Right. He's, he's very. That's what I like about this. I think he's very, very frank about it. He he's is very. He, he, is. he is very pragmatic in his portrayal of these Which characters. Is, yes, he's very clear-eyed, and, and, and that's that's exactly almost what I a documentarian approach. And in fact, exactly. you, guys, you guys might have mentioned this, but there is a, an absolute, complete absence of music in this film. Yes. Yeah. yeah there's Which no music gives in the Gives it that almost documentarian feel to it, right? Like yes. We're we're in the the flop houses. We're in the gutters with them. Um, you know, it, it gives it that that re, that real gritty, grimy, greasy feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I mean, I certainly think that this is a movie that people should see. Um, but I mean, like, like I said. This is not the sort of movie where you could say, oh, my God, I love the Panic in the Needle Park. Although you could say that on a technical level. Nobody's going to say, hey, I just love to put Needle Park on on a Saturday night with my friend <laughs> and, pizza and hang and out. Beer. Yeah, it's but, not something you're ever going to say. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, but at the same time, you know, I, I did enjoy the film for its merits. Uh, I think it's it's marvelously well made. Yes, it um, is. And uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty much all that I got on this one. So kick it over to one of you guys. Uh, especially for you a, to, do you want to run on it? What do you want to do? Uh, it, it just doesn't matter. I was just gonna say, especially though for a second film, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and Schatzberg didn't direct a whole lot of stuff. He most no. notably did this and Scarecrow and yep, he, he, which he, is a great movie, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. he does. He he's got some strange. I never saw Street and, Smart. Uh, that's that's no known for its uh, performance from um, Morgan, Morgan Freeman, Freeman, right? It's Christopher Reeve yeah. and Morgan Freeman. Right? Morgan Freeman plays a drug dealer in that. And mm-hmm. He's pretty intimidating. Honeysuckle Rose, the Willie Nelson movie. I, oddly, I, I was wondering, wondering, have I ever seen a Schatzberg movie in the theaters? I did. I saw Honeysuckle Rose with my parents in the theaters. Nice. Um, he, it's an interesting filmography. The man's still alive. He's 92. Is he really? Yeah, he's 92 years old, and he's Good still Lord. around. Still, I think he was at Cannes just a couple of years ago. So he still shows up at things and everything. So he's he's hanging in there. He's uh, probably got a lot of great stories. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. no, I, uh, you can go if you want to go. Will I? I will say that sure. I never, yeah, I never yeah. felt that uh, like some heroin movies or some junkie movies. This one didn't feel um, glorified in any way. Correct. It, it felt kind of matter of fact sometimes, and just kind of uh, the way. 
I, I guess, you know, if, if Gus Van Zant would have made this, it would have been a little bit more sexy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a drugstore cowboy and stuff like that. And well, this is very fly on the wall. It's very, like I yeah. said, it's very, very gutter level. This is like yes. uh, Schatzberg's version of salesman for uh, people with yeah. needle problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I understand. I mean, I don't know if misery porn's the right thing, but certainly miserable. Well, no, characters. it's just something that occurred to me when I was when I was watching it is whether or not you know people would consider this to be I guess, misery porn. I yeah. don't know that I necessarily do. Yeah. But. Yeah. I don't I, I don't. Yeah, I've seen, right, right, right. seen darker on the same subject that I would definitely categorize as misery porn. Mm. Um, this one, there's there's a uh, there's a tinge of innocence in here that I kind of appreciated, and uh, it, maybe it's the Kitty Wynn character. I don't know. I mean, all these films have the character that kind of falls into this stuff, and and yeah. you, then you, you're you're supposed to kind of relate to that character. Um, but there's a tinge of innocence to the Pacino character as well. Like he's fallen into this terrible lifestyle and he's proud of it, but I think he's only proud of it because he doesn't know how to do anything else. Yes. And it's, well, that's, that's kind of the, the dog, right? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, the same thing, same yeah. thing happens to the dog. Dog gets dragged into this dog's innocent. What happens to the dog? Yeah. Eh. Yeah. It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the age old problem with addiction. You know, it's, you know, it, people neglect their kids. They neglect their themselves they right. neglect their families they neglect everything for the fix so it's it's that age-old problem I, I think if anything what i'm surprised by the film is how kind of um modern it still feels uh from 1971 to now i mean it still feels very modern in a lot of ways the uh, the, the problem is still it's still an epidemic uh mm-hmm. heroin and, and opiates so there's still a problem and uh, a lot of the things that happen in the movie still happen to this day yeah, it's it's kind of scary. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well, yeah, Doug, Doug, drugs haven't gone away. Drugs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So, nope. nope. Unfortunately, it's true. The opiates are uh, they're dangerous, man. They're dangerous. You know, I live in one of the opiate capitals of the world, and it's 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 a ongoing problem all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, large way. You can go ahead and go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to kind of chat. No, there. don't be sorry at all. So, yeah. You guys might have touched on this. I just step away for a minute. But yeah, very early Pacino, second film. This leapfrogged him into Godfather territory, I believe. Um, talking about the cast, uh, Raul Julia is, um, uh, you know, not maybe used as much as he could have been, but there really isn't a need for him to be. No, uh, no, right? No, no. He's, he's background. Um, uh Pacino, we get this is where we get the early stages of yeah the Pacino we we know and I guess some love. Um, there's still more nuance in this with his character than there is with some of his stuff that came post Scarface. Uh, Alan Vint making his return to the show. Um, yeah. yeah. Last time we saw him making County Line. That's right. Right. <laughs> so I always I, you know Vint to me looks like the. The younger, shy brother of Jean-Paul Belmondo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say know. Bo Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah a little yeah. bit of that. Uh, costume designer. Did you guys see the name for the costume designer? Uh, I did not. It's pretty fun to look at. Joe Inocino. <laughs> it's like J-O and then Y-N-O-C no Joe Inocenio or Inocenio I don't know anyway Inocencio Inocencio Inocenio 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 
you know, that is a mouth. That's like Ingve Malmstein, but for Ingve Malmstein. That's right. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> I love the uh, how it opens up, right? And the subway's crammed, and I think it conveys a sense of. Uh, uh, smothering claustrophobia yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's very real on her face what's happening absolutely uh, the weight and the, the, the just yeah it's it's palpable and that's and that's the thing that I, you know like i was saying you know that i like about what chadsburg does here is that he's he's showing you all you need to know uh and the actors are are doing a hell of a job uh you know, picking up the other end of that and, yeah. you know, portraying it with very little that they need to say. Uh, and that, that becomes, the, you know, like this beginning scene and then, you know, throughout the movie. And then especially at the end, uh, at the very end, um, when uh, when they're walking down the street at the uh, in the final moments of the film. Mm-hmm. I think that it's all there. It's all there in the shot and the, uh, the acting. Uh, it, you know, nothing needs to be said, so nothing is said. And it's very, very smart on, uh, on the part of uh, Schatzberg and, uh, and his cast. Agreed. He's an assured filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things I miss when I look at films like this is how authentic New York feels. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, and not even, again, because I, I think, you know, you could get into misery porn territory with some films. Like if this was made today, the set would be, it wouldn't be, like, I feel like when you look at films back then, there wasn't this need for a certain level of glamour or artifice it, it seems like nowadays everything needs to be upper middle upper middle class or richer tourist attractions yeah it's it just you, you shoot this, a movie in new york now you got to figure out a way to get Times square in you got to figure out yeah. a way to get this and that in all yeah all the visual markers right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think that just in general even if this was set in um cleveland yeah there's just a certain upper middle class aesthetic that seems to be in in every domestic situation i don't know yeah this feels very shabby but but real no yeah filmmakers aren't as uh, as interested uh today in uh i don't know if it's filmmakers i think it might i think a lot of and i'm not in the business obviously but i think a lot of what when people are allowed to shoot in cities nowadays, I think there's a lot of politics behind that nowadays. Like, okay, well, you can well, shoot saying, here, I did, but, I mean, but we don't want this... you shooting in, uh, you know, off 22nd Street in Cleveland. We don't want you going down there because we don't want people to see that side of Cleveland. <laughs> we want people to come to Cleveland and visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, you know, do this. I just I feel like there's a, there's a strong level of, okay, you can shoot in Birmingham, Alabama, but... We'll give you tax breaks if you shoot in this area of Birmingham as opposed to this area of Birmingham. We don't want to show the poverty because we don't want anybody to see that. Mm-hmm. I think that's possible, but I also think that you know today with with how you know you can make a, a movie on your phone. Uh, so, I mean, how much of it is is coming from from the the production end of it, like from uh, actual actual productions and how much of it you know is just the choice of the filmmakers seeing as how i mean like i said if you can make a movie with your phone for absolutely jack shit uh and you still get the same sort of things then i would tend to think that it's a a more pervasive thing than just being on the uh the political end of the spectrum Mm. Mm. that's me personally but but maybe i could i could be wrong as always well it's almost like the I, i it's almost like blockbuster movies have taken on what I think romantic comedies used to do. Romantic comedies always seemed to used to shoot always in the the glamorous parts of a city. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, you know the hip the hip parts of the city, for lack of a better word. I mean, every city's got them, right? Yep. I mean, where you're at, uh, where ta- where uh, 
Will's at, where I'm at. We all have our artsy fartsy, our hip parts of the city where all the mm-hmm. hipsters hang out, you know, where there's many mustaches and iced coffees and all this kind of stuff. Um, we all have that. I just went and ate at a place uh, Friday night, uh, so full of hipsters that I almost broke a hip. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable. You know, the amount of uh, handlebar mustaches I saw Friday night rivals, uh, I don't know, anything I would have seen in a <laughs> Looney Tunes cartoon. But it's, uh, it, it's interesting to me that uh, a lot of films tend to not go, uh, especially blockbusters. Blockbusters in general tend to now, I think, stay away from areas. I think what the 70s, I think, brought, sometimes when we talk about these movies and stuff, I think what the 70s kind of brought to cinema was that kind of slap-in-the-face realism. You know, Midnight Cowboy, this. Uh, even the Los Angeles films of the 70s, you know, you see a different side of Los Angeles, you know. Well, that's because the that's because the 70s were all about disillusionment. I mean, yeah. they were all yeah. about, you know, just the, the failure of the of yeah. the uh, the 60s and the free love era, the failure, you know, the assassinations of uh, Bobby Kennedy, MLK, uh, JFK, you know, all of these things coming in Vietnam. So, you know, th- these this is the hangover not, period. This yep. is absolutely the hangover period. This is, you know, hangover square. Everybody's just exactly. that's right. <laughs> I think that, uh, hangover, I, well, I, th- I think you yeah there we go bringing that back. Uh-huh. <laughs> the uh, I think it's interesting though because it's, a lot of it can be political climate too right I mean like now we live in a time where the politicians especially in this country for Todd and I where it's very uncomfortable time and it seems like uh, we are very our uh, the, the the blockbuster cinema can sometimes reflect that and right now there's a lot of disillusionment but not in the way you would think it's like everybody wants to see the good and everything there's a lot of in my opinion, there's a lot of. Well, I think that there's ignoring. a lot more. It's 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 sort of like it's sort of like how it's sort of like how uh, in the 30s they would have the white phone films because nobody wanted to de- to think about the depression when they went to the movies. Everybody That's right. wanted That's to right. get away from that. That's right. Okay, so now you get to the 70s and everybody was so pissed off and so yeah. disillusioned. They were yeah. like, okay, now we're gonna focus on this. Now yep. we're gonna yep. we're gonna sit here and we're gonna force you to look at all of this shit. Yep. We're gonna force you to look at the effects that uh, you know this all this world going to shit kind of stuff has right. done. And now we're back to the white phone era, right? Yeah. Now we're back we to are. the. You're Right. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, just show me big shit blown up and I'll be a happy camper. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, listen, I don't, I don't, there's room for that. Grudge people that I yeah. don't think that it's wrong, uh, to, to, to want to do one or the other. Um, I mean, obviously it would be a little more perhaps honest, uh, to go back to a seventies, uh, early seventies style of, uh, filmmaking. Um, maybe, maybe not. I think you could have a, a, a very long debate about that. Well, I think there's um, still films being made that way. I think of that one, what was that film we watched? Uh, both Will and I saw it. I don't know if you saw it. It was shot on an iPhone. It was, uh, was it sunshine? Was that the name of it? What was the, what was the name of that movie that, uh, with the transgender person shot in LA? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not. I don't think it was called Sunshine, wasn't it? The guy that did Tangerine, uh, Tangerine, Tangerine is Tangerine, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which has a very strong '70s aesthetic. Right. Yeah. And very mad. Yeah, and how, and how many people were able to see Tangerine as opposed to how many people were able to see Panic and Needle Park? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of my. It's by. kind of my point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah. I guarantee you, this played in a lot more theaters than Tangerine did. Well, there's that, there's that argument, but then there's also the argument that I bet you really have more opportunity to see Tangerine than you did Panic and Needle Park, because you had to actually go to the theater to see Panic and Needle Park. Right. Whereas but I mean, Tangerine, that, you that could the have... whole point of movies is to go to a theater to see them. Uh, it's part of it. It is part. It is part of it, but I don't know if in 2019 it's a major part of it anymore. 
Right, right. But I think that, you know, I think that if you take that out of it, I think that you also take out part of the whole, I, I think. I don't think part theaters. Of, part of it is. Go ahead. I'm just saying that I, I don't think that watching, listen, watching a movie on a television is completely different from watching it on a theater screen. I don't care how big your fucking TV is. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, and, and, and plus you have no. You have no communal uh, aspect to it. You can't pause it in a theater. Yep. Uh, you know, if you got to take a piss, you got to get up, and you're going to miss some time. Yep. Uh, you know, there, these are there are aspects to it that you know, you you do not have at home. Yep. So uh, okay, uh, I think that that creates a completely different experience than uh, than watching at home. So I don't think that you know it's it's saying that it's the same thing. Uh, yes, the the film is the same. The material is the same. The experience is not the same. I, um, I and, agree and, with and, that. And, no, go ahead, please. No, I agree with that. I just I, here's where I where I say is I don't think theaters will pick up Tangerine. Well, yeah, that's major what change. They're not going to pick saying. that up. That's They're what like, I'm saying. Panic and Needle Park made today. It won't get picked right. up. That's exact. That's a hundred percent what I'm saying. Is yeah. that a lot more people saw Panic and Needle Park in a theater uh, than were able to see it and uh, yes, uh, than than saw Tangerine yes. in a theater. Yes, correct. Because I just think no, nobody. I just don't think the people that really go to the movies now. I don't think they really want to see that. I think, you sure. know, I think there's a select few of us. Now, three of us are on this podcast. But yeah. and I think there's people who want to see things that will challenge them, but I don't think the majority and it's probably always been that way. I was re- say, re- I like realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it is a it is, you know, it is a an art form. It is a popcorn art form. It is an art form that's there to generate dollars. Yep. Um, it's just I, I think one of my notes was in the beginning is I miss films like this and being made and released by major studios and and things like that because I, I felt like it kind of looked at society's ills and something we don't do nowadays. We don't really need movies to do that because we got so much fucking news and everything else. We don't really need movies to look at society's ills anymore. Because well, they might need them to look at it a little more honestly. Let's wait. Well, that's a whole. That's another day's worth of conversation. Right that, there. That's a whole other podcast. You're right. But yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. But that, uh, you know, I, I kind of miss that. Uh, there's this. Me too. I, I don't yeah. know if I don't know if it's the age or, or whatever we live in, or maybe it's our age, being that we're middle aged men now. But there's this there's this gloss, and there's nothing wrong with the gloss. Trust me, I love the gloss because I got an eight year old or a nine year old that I take to movies as well. There's this gloss right now. That's kind of irritating, and and I wish in a way, and this kind of goes back to that real New York kind of conversation. I wish in a way we'd take a little bit of the gloss off the, off the, uh, I don't know, the stone or whatever you want to call it. The, uh, the shine off the apple, yeah, a little shine off the ass. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to go. GGTMC standards, take a little glisten off of them, uh, pecs, you know, right. and, uh, get back to the fact that, uh, you know, 99% of America probably looks more like this New York than it looks like, uh, I don't know. A romantic comedy New York, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's that upper mail. middle class or higher. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I was hoping that with more... We're really getting in deep here. Uh, I was hoping with more minority filmmakers coming to the forefront, I was hoping with that we'd see more of the reality of minorities in America. But I feel like we've taken minorities and we've put them in pretty parts of cities. <laughs> And I know that sounds crazy, but I think about some of the films I've seen with minority star and minorities directing, and it's it's almost like it's almost like you've got male with minority actors. Yeah, that, that's well, look f- at uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Right? Yeah. Well, that's why you can get cynical about what's being pushed on us because 
it becomes the one size fits all, just change the color. Yes. Right. Uh, whereas the real experience that a lot of people have, whether it's um, regardless of color, but of um, financial background uh, or whatever trials and tribulations they're experiencing, yeah, it's not being it's, it's being glossed over in the interest of a, a diversified um, American dream, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're really getting deep here, but uh, we're really sticking the needle in, so to speak. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. You never know where these conversations are going to take us. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, man. That well, that's the great thing about yeah. Back to you, Will. Dialogue. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry that, to, that was a derail. Don't, don't, no, no, but it's important because I think it's yeah. No, those are the, those are great points. No pun intended with the film about uh, <laughs> yeah, eels. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think human beings are just so fucked up. Like watching this I film. I mean, we just ruin ourselves. We are maybe the only creature. Yeah, we may are maybe the only creature on the planet that knowingly does things that are harmful to ourselves. Just destroys everything. And it's all psychological, right? I mean, it all comes from some type of pain. Yeah, I know it does. It, you're right. It absolutely does. Um, uh, looking at this film, I think one of the things that it does a good job of of illustrating is just the energy that you need to expend to keep your head above water, like moment to moment. And I think as someone who's now 40, you know, immersed in the suburbs and in the rat race, oh, yeah. I can't help but look at this through a practical, um, kind of like a family man, not family man, but like a, a working man lens in that, we see their relationship and the arguments that they have about the values placed on certain things, financial constraints, what are we going to do? And then when you, you get this, these walls closing in on them and they're addicts and they're going to be erratic anyway, I think seeing the domestic side of a junkie relationship was really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Some of the squabbles they had, it wasn't just sensationalized kind of shooting galleries. Yeah. There was a more, you know, maybe less sensational, but a very real um, domestic side to this. It's brought up an interesting thought to me while I was watching this movie. Um, and it was that, you know, sometimes our lives can be dictated by who we choose to spend them with. Absolutely. Your yeah. friends, you know, I, I know I, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying this to you guys <laughs> or anybody listening to this. Some friends we have have went down some seriously dark paths. Some of them might not be around anymore. Some of them might be locked up. Some of them might just be trouble in period, but have never gotten in any real trouble, but they're, they're clearly trouble. But then I also thought to myself, wow, you know, there's a couple of girls I dated that are in really bad ways now that I've, I've heard from friends and stuff. And you think to yourself, what if I would have stuck with that person? Could I have fixed that person or would I have become what that person has become? It really is a very challenging question for yourself because, you know, I mean, we can all because we are human beings, we can all get caught up in something. And before we know it, boom, it's, it's out of control. Yeah. Uh, we've all been there in some way. I mean, never, I've never been to the point where panic in needle park is, but I've certainly been to the point to where I've woke up and thought, did I really need to drink that much? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, did, was that really wise? I mean, I, I, I don't have pants on right now. I clearly never, drank I've too never much. I've questioned it, but I have, uh, I have regretted it. Yes. So, I mean, that compulsion, that willingness yeah. to kind of self-destruct. Yeah. So it, it is interesting that, you know, as a middle-aged man with a family and in the rat race, like Will said, um, 
I think to myself, there is such a fine line, such a small balancing act you have to play where you could really tip this thing over on its head if you're not careful. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, yeah. and ruin not just your life, but everybody around you's life. And that that is just oh, it's just that as I get older, that to me is like what true horror is. Like, you know, that is uh, people always ask me, you know, that when I talk about horror movies and stuff, what I like, well, I think what I like about horror movies is the escapism of horror movies, right? Because it's clear, it's it's black and white typically, it's crazy and stuff, but the real horror for me is kind of stuff like this, Panic and Needle Park, because this is the scary stuff. This is the stuff that could really happen. And I worry as a parent, you know, what if my son gets hooked? What if my oh, daughter God, yeah. gets hooked, you know? Everything you think is going to happen, you're lucky if half, 50, 60% of what you think your life is going to be like or your child, children's life is going to be like or the world is going to be like, you're lucky if 50 or 60% of that comes out accurate. Oh, and God, yeah. You just got to hope a lot of times you're just, and this is why I think people fall into faith and things like that stuff that, you know, I don't really have, but I think this is the reason why people fall into it because you're so scared. Something's going to go wrong. Like in this film for the Kitty Wynn character. I think it's a perfect example. She's a totally innocent girl who's gotten herself in some bad situations. Yeah. But that's the pattern of her life. That's, yeah. That's the know, pattern of her this life. This is what she does. She, yeah. you know, has that neediness. And you have that moment where you have to make that decision, and unfortunately, right. she made the wrong decision. Right, she right. sure did a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah more than and a few times. And then it yeah. compounds, right? Yeah, it gets worse, and it just—it has nowhere to go but down. Right. Speaking of bad situations, a cup of coffee and a sardine sandwich is a bad situation. That the, to lighten mood a little bit—that is not a good mix. That is, Whoa. Jesus, what an awful mix for your breath. Oh you better God. not be kissing anyone. Oh, that's my. disgusting. Oof. I don't even want you talking to me. No, and, I and, don't. And I'm a person who likes sardines and likes coffee, but I never would mix the two. Oh man, come on. No, that's that's I, not that's nuts and gum together yeah, at last. I got ooh, man, I got standards. Awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> oof. Uh we got JMB case. It's forty eight forty. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just scratched Very that nice. off my notes. I knew somebody would bring it up. <laughs> you know it. Uh, I think the film's shot in tight, which is, of course, intentional and works wonderfully, and it's edited with a certain frenzy. Um, mm-hmm. Not overly so, like, you know, you would get with um, A Requiem for a Dream. It's stuff that becomes more feverish progressively, which has almost become um, cliche, and, yeah. and you know, you roll your eyes at nowadays. But it's edited in a way that, that gives it, it lists a certain amount of frenzy or feverish uh, feeling. Yes. Um, I think I think Requiem for Dream, even though it's a beautiful film and I like it a lot, I, that one feels more like the term misery porn to me. I, I would agree with that. Very I think much. It, it does, and it also feels um, at this point because of the stylistic choices uh, in terms of cinema uh, and technique, it probably feels a little more dated in some regard. Yeah, yeah I haven't um, seen it in a long time, but it it, there's, it certainly feels that way. But I, I say that in not a bad way because I remember liking no, the movie, no, and I probably still like yeah, it. Yeah, that, that film it. just imagery and that 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 stuck with me. But man, it is a proverbial snowball rolling downhill. That oh movie. God, <laughs> it just gets yeah. worse and worse. And it's like, oh my God! And the and the and you know, it's, I'm, it's interesting you brought that up because I hadn't been thinking about that movie. But a lot of drug films seem to be inspired by that drug film because everything now it seems to escalate and with heartbeat shots and yeah, you know, uh, it's nightmarish, yeah. very very nightmarish. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if you guys saw this. You probably did. But there's a scene in Panic in Needle Park when Pacino like gets really fucked up. And it's a scene with an overbearing wife who just won't stop talking and 
the way she's circling around the room and his friend is trying to get him out. That scene, <laughs> if you go back and watch it, that scene is almost beat for beat. The scene with, because um, she goes, why did you bring him in here? You know, you don't have to bring him in here. That feels so much like the Rosanna Arquette yes. scene in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I, I yeah. guarantee you he lifted that from here. I guarantee well, it. I guarantee oh, yeah. it as well because uh, Tarantino has uh, spent some time with Schatzberg. Matter of fact, they, they spend quite a bit of time with each other. He's talked to him quite a bit. Yeah, so that that definitely. Um, I, would have, I, love, I would have no doubt whatsoever that comes oh, from that. I would bet a lot of money on that. <laughs> Uh, we get the term "I balled him" or "balling my yep. old lady." You oh know, yeah, that's, oh, right. that's the worst fucking term ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the desperation really increases as the film goes on. Like we said, stress and strain, decreased options. Um, a lot of that stuff's good. They go for, like I said, some of the domestic strain versus sensationalizing things because, frankly, they don't need to be sensationalized. They're already horrible. Um, the film's very, you know, a lot of shabby, shadowy interiors. It's like I'm watching the low rent clute. Um, it's yeah. just really, yeah. you know. But again, I think that that conveys um, not only mood, but really, like they don't give a fuck about lights and yeah. all that stuff, right? Yeah, all you um, care about is the fix, right? That's all you care about. Fix and yeah, exactly. They're not worried yeah. about cleaning their DVR, dude. <laughs> oh, they sure ain't. They sure ain't. That's uh, the scene with the puppy. Even. Like preceding what happens to the puppy, that scene just feels awful to hear the puppy whimpering in the background. There's scenes where there's a baby crying, and oh my god, um, it just—it's so awful. I it's know. so so awful. Man, when, um, whenever these movies, TV shows, or anything start mixing, even before I had children, they start mixing babies and puppies and dog and anything that you're supposed to take care of, and you can't take care of it because you want to take care of yourself so much. Mm-hmm. That drives me up a wall. Oh, me too. Of like, me too, me too, me too. And of anger, and that's what it's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to do that. And man, I was so angry at these two characters uh, when oh, big time. with the puppy. Oh, yeah. So angry uh, to the point where, if I don't step back and think about the fact that this would probably happen in a situation like this, it would turn me off to the movie. But. I had to kind of dial it back and say, look, you know, that it's obviously nothing probably really happened to the puppy. Uh, at least God, I hope not. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all for the benefit of the story and how awful these, these things can become. And, you know, I had to step back and think that minute for, for a second, even though that's not my type of breed of dog or anything, my rage, uh, kicked in, uh, like it does. I, I thought about train spotting, you know, train spotting, there's a baby thing. Yeah, and yeah. I rewatched yeah, yeah, yeah. I rewatched Train Spotting a few years back, and it mm-hmm. brought an immense amount of rage into me. Oh yeah, and it was an interesting feeling because the first time I watched it, I didn't have a child, and and it it bothered me it certainly because I'm a human being. Uh, but when you have a child, it, it it enrages you. Of course, more people can relate to. I think this is the reason why animals uh, dying in movies or anything I think get to people is I think a lot of people can relate to losing a pet or losing an animal uh maybe not all the time obviously if you don't have children it's a little bit different but i think once you get to a certain age you can relate either way because you just you know maybe your humanity kicks in hopefully uh, but man this one todd brought it up when we were talking messages and stuff uh, me and him were talking back and forth and uh he brought that up and i remember thinking oh god i got i forgot all about that i'm gonna get so mad <laughs> yeah. when i want rewatch it because it struck me i remember being a young man watching this movie i rented this vhs tape and i remember being a young man i remember thinking man fuck pacino man it's a bunch of bullshit 
she <laughs> you know i mean i remember thinking that and we're thinking this is some <laughs> horrible shit man i hate these two characters but as a grown man uh, watching a movie and stuff I, it's not that i hate the characters i do pity them but really it's just sadness it's just an overall yeah. unbearable sadness it is, yeah. It it definitely is. I think you kind of lament, like, what a shame. You know, this yeah. it is. It's tragic, right? Yeah. And I think pity yeah. and sadness are two different things. Pity and know. sadness, absolutely. Um, I just want to say one more thing. To me, I don't know if it's a combination of um, what Wynn's character endures, what they're trying to convey with her, or being in the same room with as big a personality as Pacino. But Wynn, to me, I felt like. Mm, well, she wasn't bad. I felt like she's she feels to me like a less charming, plainer Jessica Harper. And mm. Jessica Harper is not Mrs. Personality to me on a good day. Like, yeah. she's fine in what she's in, but she always tends to play the, the lamb, yeah. which is what Wynn is playing in this, right? Right, right, right. So. Yeah, but, I think it's what uh, they were going for. Yeah. And finally, sorry, one la- on a positive note, Ellen Vince shearling a jacket game is strong. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah, so those are my notes. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot more to add, except for the, you know, I really enjoyed the performances in the movie. Uh, when, uh, yeah, she she's not, I mean, this is her first film, so, you know, uh, God bless her. I think they were going for that. Um, but maybe some of the most interesting things about the movie is De Niro tried to do this movie, and Pacino got picked over De Niro, and then um, Schatzberg really wanted Jim Morrison of the doors for this movie which is yeah i saw that that would have been interesting but i think it might have detracted a bit from the film yeah 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 yeah. because you know obviously he ended up going through his own thing with some of this stuff and well it didn't work out well um Mm -hmm. so you know going back and watching it yeah i mean this movie's not a roof raiser i mean you're not gonna (laughs) you're not gonna say i mean i'm not gonna this is a good movie i think for a podcast or to have a discussion but I don't think it's a good movie for, uh, you know, Jimmy Bob's uh, Bar Mitzvah down in uh, uh, Boone County, Kentucky. You know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm making a big joke here. There's no Bar Mitzvahs in Boone County, Kentucky, let me tell you right now. But, <laughs> trust me on that one. Uh, but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, I mean, this is not the kind of movie I would show to most people. But I sometimes like what I like about this podcast and doing this podcast is it gives us an opportunity and everything's. Like there's a big sick part of me, not sick, maybe maybe uh, just a happy part of me that's sitting over here smiling because we're talking about things that I like to talk about, which is you know human beings' uh, natural progression toward destruction, um, movie theaters' natural progression toward destruction, <laughs> yep. all these things we talk about. Uh, it I knew the film would spark conversation, and that's what uh, I think that's what great movies do. Is they spark conversation, uh, whether where, however you feel about the movie is one. It doesn't really matter uh, to me. Sometimes, sometimes it's what it sparks. Um, the fact that you guys brought up that it was shot so tight, I really like that too. I think that obviously it feels like a low budget film. Uh, I don't know how low but, budget, but it, but it doesn't feel cheap. No, no, I don't know how low budget it was either because I don't remember what the budget was. I think it's like one and a half million in 1971. That might have been a little bit of money. So I don't know if it was super cheap, but. Um, it's it it's a tough watch, and I think by keeping it tight on the characters and stuff, I think it's interesting. I think that the era of the '70s too with New York. I mean, we live in kind of a time where, and we kind of talked about this in the messages between me, you, and Todd. We live in a time of distraction. We live in a mm-hmm. world now where 
we don't have to go out and look for a fix. We can kind of find our little fixes to keep us satiated in the house, uh, be it movies, TV shows, and everything else. I think one of the things I found most interesting about this movie is the nomadic nature of junkies and how they're always on the move. They're always hustling. And uh, now it seems like you don't have to hustle that much. It seems like you know it's almost like Grubhub at your uh, for junkies nowadays. Like uh, there's so many things that you can just get directly inserted into your brain. I mean that's the next step, right? I mean that's what science fiction movies have told us. You know, sooner or later we're going to be jacking into our heads and and uh, you know experiencing things directly into our brain, I guess. And uh, you know it will satiate certain things. Uh, hopefully not drugs. I'd rather it be movies and uh, TV shows and uh, books and <laughs> video games and not drugs. But uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And I just found it interesting that kind of nomadic nature, that kind of always on the move, always looking for that next fix, always looking for a score, always looking for a TV to boost out of the back of a TV repair van. You know, just anything simple like that. Which, by the way, just seeing TV repair vans, that's that's a throwback. Well. You just don't see that anymore. When's the last time you guys saw a TV repair van? Uh, <laughs> we just buy new ones. It's certainly cheaper. <laughs> That's right. That's what it's come to, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I, I like the movie. Uh, I think it's very stark, though, and I think that uh, I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, I'll say that. That's an easy out, I know, but I think it's a really strong movie about addiction and the the problems that it can cause. And uh, while I did feel bad for the characters, like I said, an overbearing sadness for the characters, I did not pity them because they did choose their path. And I think the ending shows that, that um, sometimes people just can't get off the path. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's the reality of it. So... Yeah, rough stuff. Not not exactly, uh, you know, not exactly split second, but hey, no. <laughs> we'll take it, right? So it's more like yeah. when Harry met Sally. <laughs> yeah. Yes, or another movie I saw in the uh, '90s called When Larry Ate Sally. So uh, nice. <laughs> it's a pretty good one, by the way. A lot of <laughs> a lot of chocolate starfish in that one. Oh yeah. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> that flesh asterisk. Uh, <laughs> that thuggy nut. Thuggy nut. That's right. Let's get into make or breaks and VTs. Uh, all right. Make or break for me is the OD scene. Uh, I think that it's the point that you realize there really is no bottom uh, for these people. Uh, MVT for me, as good as Pacino and Win are, uh, I'm going with Jasberg on this. I think he does a great job uh, constructing a film around a subject and character. Um, that we may not normally want to watch, right, uh, but right. he does a, an outstanding job uh, from stem to stern on this thing. Uh, and score for me is uh, 7.5 out of 10. Um, That's good. That's, yeah, high. That's higher I, than I, mean, I thought you would come in. Oh, yeah? No, yeah. Uh, I, no, thought, I, I still very much appreciate the I film, thought you were though. a 7 at best. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, He's no, I appreciate it. Yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate yeah, the film for uh, for its merits, even though uh, it, it, the the actions of the characters sometimes kind of piss me off to a, uh, a certain degree. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, that's what I got. It's like 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 uh, like uh, uh, not as political, but like dragged across concrete. They're supposed to piss you off, right? Exactly, to... exactly. Wait a minute, are, are we thinking again before we watch don't something? don't do don't, that? Don't do that, Todd. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Will. 
<laughs> make or break. Oh, yeah, this is this one. I had a tough time with make or break on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, there's so much that's you know it kind of yeah. Would have been fun to have Will Will around for the White Heat review we did. Yeah. Made it, ma. Look, ma. <laughs> Look, yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know what to do with this one for make or break. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm not eating. Never mind. Um, I guess I want to go with that scene with the dog because it felt really awful. It, and it just punctuates like not only is it this innocent creature, but it goes to show how quickly these these small moments of happiness are just destroyed and ruined by addiction. Yes. Um and that innocent things are crushed along the way. Yep. Um, yep. So I guess I'll go with that um, because this isn't really like a. Yeah, this that, isn't a sensational film as much as it's 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 sensation it's sensational subject matter that is never sensationalized. Yes. Maybe that's more. That is it. a true make or break too. Like that's going to make it for some folks, or that's going to fucking break it. For yes. <laughs> yes. Woo. Precisely. Uh, MVT. I'm just going to go with the the documentary, like the feel that Schatzberg, I don't think Schatzberg's direction is perfect in this, but I think his, his decision to have an absence of music, to shoot it in tight and have it have a very gritty, realistic feel without feeling overly so, um, allows you to peek inside this world. Uh, quite effectively, my score for the film is a seven out of ten. Um, yeah, this is a good one. Shakespeare is a solid director. Uh, I think he makes interesting films about damaged people and them trying to have relationships in spite of um, the baggage they have. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, I'll make a break. The dog scene's a good choice. Uh, it is. Ah. Um, uh, Man, this was a tough one to have a make or break scene. Oh, so I, I like the scene in the cafe with the brother, with the Richard Bright character. And I, uh, there's something about the way Richard Bright keeps looking at Kitty Wynn that bothers me. Uh, maybe it's just maybe it's just Richard Bright's eyes. <laughs> well, but that plays out too. Yeah, it does. It does. But um, uh, I've always thought Richard Bright was a great character actor. He might be. Uh, he's he was the comic relief in the Riff, if you remember, with uh, Dennis yeah. Leary. Well, he was in uh, Beautiful Girls too. Yeah, yeah, no, he's really he was really underrated actor. Great face. Yeah, and uh, you know, he could do heavies and he could do the loving dads and he could do creeps. He could do everything. So, um, but I really like that scene because she's getting introduced to his world and Pacino's got this kind of look of innocence on him, like he's so proud of his brother and all this stuff. And really, they're just these terrible people in a way and it's just it's it's interesting there's a lot of things in here and this goes into my mvt there's a lot of things in here with pacino i like a lot because there are some pacino isms in here that we wouldn't come to know and some of us would love and some of us would loathe but there's also that great pacino ability of being quiet when he needs to be and i think in the 70s he did that a lot better than he did you know post scarface uh, and I don't have a, you know, I don't, like I said, I've, I've often voiced my opinion of Scarface, but, you know, I know in Scarface he's supposed to be over the top, and I get that. But it, it wasn't the Scarface performance as much as it was the Scarface performances after Scarface that were the problem for me. Um, because it seemed like he had to be loud at that point. 
And then I think about how quiet he is. Like, he's quiet in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? He's kind of quiet, just kind of this background character. And uh, he does that really well. He, he, he always has done it really well. And he's such a... This is another reminder of how small that guy is. <laughs> he's such a little dude, man. Like, he just, uh, just kind of mixes in with everything. But he's got this, uh, this look, this something that kind of draws you to him. I don't know what it is. But I would give it the MVT to him. I think he's really, really good in the movie. I think the early 70s was really when Pacino shined. Uh, shined bright, too. I think about this and then Godfather and then uh, Serpico and, and these movies he did in the early 70s. They're pretty, pretty amazing performances. You go back and look at them. Uh, I'd just been watching um, the Arrow release of Cruising. I'd just been watching that. I didn't watch all of it. That's why I didn't mention it and would have been watching. But, again, to go there and to look at that performance, I mean, it's just really kind of amazing what Pacino was doing for a long time there. And there's a reason why he was considered a, you know, and still is considered a great actor. Uh, a cinematic actor, that is. I'm sure he's a great stage actor, too, because he's nice and loud. Um, score for the movie, I'm right in between you guys in a way. Uh, 7.75. I'm just a little higher than Todd. I'm a little bit higher than Will, actually, but we're all kind of in the same ballpark. Uh, some of the things I like about the movie are some of its weaknesses. I never really feel like you really see Needle Park. Uh, right. I think you're just kind of always around it, but it's a great title, Panic in Needle Park, right? And uh, the panic is there, I guess, but more so for the audience, I think, sometimes. Like, there were some moments that really built anxiety for me, and the dog in particular. But there was uh, ugh, some moments that made me anxious. And then, uh, you know, it is it it plays out like I think it would play out. About yes. as optimistic as it can get. <laughs> All right. So that is our thoughts on Panic in Needle Park. If all else fails, I found a good hairband song out of the whole thing. <laughs> that is our thoughts. Yeah, I think... Go ahead. Sorry, one note to tie this in a bow. I believe that both films this week were also adaptations from books. Uh, yes, I do believe so. There you go. Yeah, yeah there we go. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, that is the show. The big show. Uh, I think we know what we're doing next week, right, Todd? Uh, uh, Will? Which well, should uh, be the... Will's kind of uh, still floating around, but he's going to try to be here as much as he can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're doing the diabolic thing. So it's um, uh, Candyman and Rabid. Yes, sir. Nice. So Bernard Rose is Candyman. Clive Barker adaption. Adaptation. Adaption. Uh, I always have a problem with that word. And... Um, Rabid, which uh, <laughs> that ought to lead to some fun conversation. Cronenberg, oh, yeah. Marilyn Chambers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My son saw the cover and he was like, ooh. I was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when you get older and you see some Cronenberg movies, you're going to have a whole lot of ewes. Oh, big time. Oh, there's some serious, in that, that boys TV show, there's uh, some serious Cronenberg moments. Because <laughs> it's dealing with kind of superheroes and the reality of them and what they would be mm -hmm. like physically. Oh man! So it's some there's some gross stuff in there. <laughs> uh, if you guys ever watch it, there's one scene we'll talk yeah, I about will. in particular. I might check it out. All right, so that'll be the big show next week. Uh, Candyman and Rabbit play along if you'd like. That's uh, sponsored by Diabolic DVD, the wonderful folks over there who are still quite friendly with us, and we really appreciate it. And patient. Yeah, and patient with us as well. Yes, as we are. <laughs> We are. I woke up this morning and was like, man, do I really have to do the podcast? I'm so fucking tired. Yeah, same, same. I was like, you know what? I thought about it. I was like, 
Yeah, I really want to talk about those movies. I need to go downstairs. <laughs> That's the thing with me, too, right? Where I podcast is a bit of a trick from where I sleep. So that, that probably has more drawbacks to it than, than the actual podcasting. Once I get down here, I'm totally fine. But getting down here is the problem. Yep. I'm so lazy sometimes when it comes to waking up. That first 10 minutes of wake-up time is never good for me. It's like rubbing. It's like I wake up like Al Pacino in Panic in Needle Park. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything you guys want to drop in here at the end? Um, nope. Nope. All right. I'll say adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 